The Lifestylist, episode 151, featuring Dustin Mares. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This here episode of the Lifestylist podcast is made possible in part by my friends over at onnit.com. I was recently out in Austin, went to their headquarters, recorded a couple podcasts, and uh, these guys are doing it right, man. Their whole operation over there was just mind-blowing from their gym to their corporate headquarters, just how the companies run. Now, I've been using their products for years, uh, no, no doubt. You've, you've heard me talk about them, things like Alpha Brain, which is their flagship nootropic. You may have even tried that yourself. But these guys are just growing and growing so fast. And their product line is just insane. It's all made with earth-grown nutrients and it's all science-backed. They have a beautiful website over at onnit.com forward slash Luke, by the way. And uh, I don't know, I'm just really into it. I'm really stoked to work with these guys. I've been on a couple of their podcasts. A couple of those guys have been on mine and we're becoming like family, man. So whether you're trying their energy bars, protein shakes, their krill oil, creatine, uh, flavored MCT oils, which is one of my favorites. So my little guilty pleasure is to to, to uh, make my coffees taste like those funky old coffee creamers that were really bad for you. Well, their version of it's really good for you. And uh, their uh, product, New Mood, is a really great one. I think that's my current favorite. And everything they do is just dope. They have you know all kinds of fitness products and club bells and kettlebells and all that stuff. It's just madness over there. So head over to onnit.com forward slash Luke and you will get 10% off all foods and supplements. And for a limited time at onnit.com forward slash Luke, you'll get to receive a 14 count bottle of Alpha Brain to try for free. And once you try the Alpha Brain, you're going to be hooked. I'm just warning you. That stuff's going to light your brain up and make you a more badass athlete, fitness guru, entrepreneur, biohacker, whatever your thing is. Onnit can help you. Onnit.com forward slash Luke. You guys know I always talk about the Organifi green juice, right? Because it's delicious and I eat it every damn day. But did you know that they also make a red juice? That's right. So they make a red juice powder packed with antioxidants and immune boosting herbs. It's got reishi and cordyceps mushrooms, which are actually really hard to make taste good. I don't know how they did this. It's also got a bunch of powerful adaptogenic herbs to support and balance your immune system. It not only tastes really good, but it's of course organic. It's also got 11 other superfoods. It's super quick and easy nutrition on the go. So imagine like getting a red juice that you'd get like a bottled juice without shit that can spill all over you. And it's really fast to make it. It's like one scoop, bada bing, bada boom, there you go. And it's like under $3 per juice, which is much more affordable than your average juice. So that's the red juice by Organifi. And you can check that out or over at Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com forward slash Luke. 
Here's what's dope, though. If you enter the audience code LIFESTYLIST, you'll save a whopping 20% off your order. So go over to Organifi.com forward slash Luke, use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 20% off any of their products, not the least of which being this delicious high-powered red juice. And the hits just keep on coming, don't they, kiddos? Here we are again at the Lifestylist Podcast. This is a very special episode for me and one that I thoroughly enjoyed recording. My boy Justin Mayers came by the studio. We sequestered ourselves in my biohacking lab for an extreme session of biohacking prior to the recording. And it was just a perfect way to set the scene for this conversation where we talked about the state of the food industry, a lot of the scams going on in the labeling and whatnot there, bone broth, and other ancient technologies which are now new again in the health and wellness world. So this is a bit about the industry in itself and just uh, ancestral health and all of that. So Justin is the founder of Kettle and Fire Bone Broth, the first 100% grass-fed, non-frozen, shelf-stable bone broth on the market. And uh, I got to say that I actually love the bone broths too. Uh, because of its portability. Now, there's other types that I use, uh, which I love, but they're frozen and uh, that can be a little bit inconvenient. And I have to admit, sometimes they go bad because I defrost them and then I don't use them in time. But Kettle and Fire's high quality stuff, as you'll find. And uh, I was just, you know, it's one of those products I was using. And I'm like, who's behind this? Found the dude. He agreed to do the show and we took a deep dive. Before we get into that dive, let's put on our swim trunks and talk about next week's show with Sahara Rose. And this one is super dope. We talk about the science of Ayurveda and how it can rock your entire life. Turns out Ayurveda is really a living system, not just a diet or use of certain herbs. It's a whole thing. And uh, so join us next Tuesday with legendary Ayurveda expert Sahara Rose couple of speaking engagements coming up. Let me blast through those. I'm at One Taste in Venice on July 26th. Then I'm speaking at Next Health August 22nd in, uh, where is that? Century City. And then I'll be at Osteo Strong in West LA August 23rd. If you want to come to my events, I would encourage you to do so because listen, I want to get to meet you in person. I love it when I do speaking gigs and uh, listeners of the show come up because I get to meet you guys. You meet me every week, like it or not, here I am. But I don't know who the hell you are unless we interact on social. So come up and say what's up. You can find entrance keys to the events at lukestory.com forward slash events. That's lukestory.com forward slash events. And there's more being added all the time. I'm out there running my mouth all across the damn country these days. Okay, so that's it for our housekeeping. Told you a little bit about the show. Here's a couple of the topics we cover. We talk about the following subjects. 10,000-year-old trends like bone broth. Get it? Uh, there's a quotation around trends. The personal health challenge that prompted Justin to start his company, Kettle and Fire. And let me tell you what, this dude's a badass entrepreneur. So if you're someone that's thinking about starting your own company... Uh, there's a lot of great information in here about uh, you know some of the trials and tribulations involved in doing that, how bone broth helps reduce inflammation in your body, what it's like to work with the USDA and navigate all of the treacherous bureaucratic roadblocks involved in starting a company, the huge scam behind the phrase grass-fed. Yeah, that one gets a little tricky, turns out. Why truly 100% grass-finished beef is so much better for you and the environment than that factory farm garbage. The ethics of farming plants versus farming animals. 
the single most harmful ingredient in the U.S. food system and how to avoid it, and then how to make great bone broth yourself and why broth is the safest and most ethical way for vegans to transition back into animal foods when their health begins to fail. So I really enjoyed getting to know Justin, and I got to say, he's just a brilliant dude and, um, like I said, a, a hell of an entrepreneur. So I picked up a few tips from him and his journey. He's a young guy. He's been very successful. His company's kicking ass, as you'll hear. So it's with great joy and satisfaction that I now present to you today's guest, Justin Mares. Welcome to the Lifestylist Podcast, Justin. Thanks for having me here, Luke. Yeah, dude. So listeners, Justin and I just did some extreme biohacking, <laughs> which is very common. Uh, we were going to do this on Skype, and then Justin hit me up this morning. He's like, hey, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be in LA. Can we do it in person in your studio? I'm like, hell Yeah. I will sequester you in my biohacking lab and I will hack your brain. Then we'll do the interview. So I threw together all of my audio video equipment and um, we've got some notes here and we just did some hydrogen bombs is what I call them uh, from Vital Reaction, this hydrogen gas tablets that are super awesome. And then we made a new recipe I found, which is... Founder made. I mean, I discovered it. There you go. Yeah. Discovered it and then made it for you and uh, to tell the audience, because he's a big fan. Maybe you can give your experience. It's a chaga tea base with uh, Perfect Keto is the brand. They make this powdered MCT oil, and that's like your creamer, sort of like a bulletproof coffee, and then Four Sigmatic instant coffee with lion's mane and chaga extract in it. Yep. And so I made you like a bomb-ass iced coffee. How was it? It was fantastic. It are was you, fantastic. Are you feeling lit right now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. 4 p.m. coffee is not something I usually do. So cool. feeling great, man. Okay, good. Well, here we go. Thanks for coming by. And it's really fun to do these episodes with someone who comes in person because then I yeah. get to like do my whole thing with you. you Show know? us it's a fun. cool house and all the photos. And yeah, everything. yeah, it's, it's cool. fun. It's fun. It's a much more intimate thing. So thank you for uh, inviting yourself for an in-person. <laughs> So you own a company called Kettle and Fire, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, One of the things that I like to do on the Lifestylist podcast is I like to invite people on that are doing badass stuff in the world. And I like to promote them and what they do. And I have no shame in like having people on and having them talk about their company and everything like that. So awesome. Don't it all feel restricted and you don't want it to be like an infomercial or something like that. I don't have people on if I think they're whack. So I, you saw in my kitchen, I have kettle and fire bone broth right yep. in there. I drink it all the time. It's not the only one I drink. I have some that I get fresh from like Bel Campo and stuff like that. But for on the fly, like I'm all in with you guys. So we're going to talk about that. But I just want to talk about sort of the food industry in general. And then we'll definitely go into the bone broth thing, which is, as we were saying, it's like, a trend, but not a trend. Yep. <laughs> it's a trend that's, you know, it's a, a 10,000 year old yeah. trend. <laughs> so exactly. So I want to talk about that, but uh, you're a young guy when you came in, I was like, cause I've met you online. I see what you're up to. I'm like, this guy's a badass entrepreneur. And you come in, I'm like, are you still in college? You're like, <laughs> dude, I'm 28. So how'd you become an entrepreneur? That's got this fantastic company. Yeah, it's a good question. So I started, I think like a lot of people down the entrepreneurial path when I realized that I just couldn't hold a job. Like I basically had 13 jobs by the time that I got to college and I'd gotten fired from 12 of them. Damn, that is a true entrepreneur. (laughs) Well, at the time, my parents just thought I was going to be a miserable failure that they'd have to support forever, you know? And so I came into college and had a couple of things happen to me all at once that uh, in retrospect, I really appreciate like a lot of things, but at the time were really hard to deal with. And so I went to school where I, I basically knew no one broke up with a long-term girlfriend, like 
had a friend take his own life, actually. My dad lost his job and he'd been like one career, you know, a couple companies his entire life. And I didn't get any of the internships that I applied for. And so that summer after all this stuff had happened, for the first time I was like, okay, even if I get good grades in school, I could lose my job like my dad. I was uh, working as a janitor at LA Fitness and and hating it. Damn, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, rough. That's a hero's journey story right there. Like Yeah, and, and yeah. I was I was hating it. I mean, it was literally like my first day at LA Fitness, someone pooped in the shower and I had to clean it up. And I was like, this is wow. not ideal. <laughs> wow. So that summer, after going through that over the course of a year, I was like, I want to start my first company. I want to do my own thing. And at the time, I literally didn't care if I made 10 grand a year, as long as I could do what I wanted, control my time. I was like, I'm going to be way happier doing this than I am working at some company and being under someone's thumb. And so that year in college, I started my first company. It was a total dud, totally failed as, as a lot of, I think, people's first ones do, but just kind of kept at it. And, you know, Kettle and Fire is now my fourth company. Officially. Jesus, dude. Yeah. You're a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> You're going to be one of those guys that's in your 50s that's like, I've started 28 companies. <laughs> like, I always, I'm like, I've done two. This is my second one, yeah. the podcast and kind of my brand, yeah. this fashion school. I can't imagine, like I've had the fashion school for nine years. And yeah. I'm like, if something happened to it, it's like, I don't even know if I need it to live necessarily 100% anymore, but it's just like, I can't let it die. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to sell it. It's like, no, that's my baby. <laughs> it's like my baby that I'll never let, you know, move out of the house kind of thing. So totally. as an entrepreneur, how do you let go of businesses? Do they just not work out and you fail or you don't get funding yeah. or... No, it's a good question. So my first one, total fail. What was it? So it was called Roommate Fit. I started it when I was in college. Okay. I, I love a, hearing like shitty business ideas. Tell yeah. Me. <laughs> so it was a bad know, one. I'm not saying it's bad, but I love Shark it Tank. Was. I love Shark Tank when someone comes on and I'm like, oh, what do they have to say? And they pitch their thing and I'm like, oh my God, that is the worst yeah. idea ever. Like I'm <laughs> just fascinated by bad ideas. I know. So Roommate Fit was a bad idea. Okay. So I was a freshman in college. I had a terrible freshman roommate. And so I was like, you know, how was it that I got matched with a bad roommate? And so... My sophomore year, I was like, someone should do a personality-based roommate matching test. And like... I'm we'll, with you so far. We'll build it. We'll Where sell does it this to get stupid? The business side. Ah, okay. It's a great idea in theory. Okay. In practice, if you're building this personality-based thing, you have to sell to universities. There are like 4,000 something in the country. So it's a pretty small market already. It takes over a year to sell into a university. They don't have budget for this because it doesn't drive any new students. And as a student, once you're in the door they pretty much got you, right? right. Like, there's no incentive for them really to make your freshman roommate that much better than it is already. Right. It was a problem that everyone recognized, but no one wanted to pay to solve. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, and, I and understand so that, that. That made it a really hard business. <laughs> yeah, so a good idea, but just a bad market. Yeah. A bad yeah. market for the idea. Exactly. What about like sort of a Tinder type app for yep. for roommates that are just like, hey, I want to get an apartment with someone, but totally. I, I want to make sure we vibe. Does that exist? So that's also a bad idea. So we, <laughs> we tried to do that. God damn it. So the reason that's also a bad idea is because it is something that you're searching for for so short a period of time. Like you're looking for a roommate and then you're in a place for three years. You okay. know? And so you're looking and you could Tinder, but there'd be a small pool of people looking for a roommate right then. And even then... It's not something people are willing to pay for. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. Like Tinder is one of the top earning apps in the app store because people will pay to have their profile picture land up top so they can like have more dates with 
hot girls or whatever it is. Right. And that's the thing. With roommates, you're like, no one's willing to pay for that. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've had a it's couple... Weird. And I want to hear a couple of the other ones that didn't work out and why. I had an idea at some point... I've had a few of them. Well, actually, one idea that I had, this is going back a few years, was to open up a float center where you have like... Float, I love floating. Yeah, where you have like a bunch of float tanks in a center yeah. and like make it kind of a biohacking type lab thing. And all yeah. my friends are like, good, that'll never work. Now there's like five of them in LA. <laughs> so I had the idea. I just didn't have the capital yeah. and the time Same. to do it. You know, but everyone's like, oh, it's stupid. It's too much maintenance. You got to change the water, the salt, this and that. I was like dude, it'll work. It's the next big thing. Like why floating was getting really big in the sixties. And then it started to really like blossom kind of and become not so underground in the seventies. And then the early eighties AIDS hit. And when AIDS hit the fucking float industry tanked because oh. everyone's paranoid to get in the <laughs> water pun there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tanked. Yes. <laughs> Let's see if I'm going to get in trouble for making light of AIDS. Now I'm not making light of AIDS, you guys. It's like, okay, I'm sorry. It's just, Yes, it, it's tanked it. So, but now, of course, you know, no one's that concerned about totally. getting in water and the sanitation is great. So I'm like, God, what a great business. But now I'm just a customer. Totally. The other idea I had and cryo? Me, no, no. <laughs> I looked at uh, opening one of those. I liked, I like cryo. I do it a lot, but I don't know. For some reason, I, I don't know. It didn't appeal to me as a business. But the one that I think could work still, I'm not even divorced from this idea. I just know I won't execute it. So I'm willing to give it to the audience at home is okay so you know how blue light is so jacked up like the light that we're seeing right now yeah. in our made up studio in my living room is totally fucked up it's non native like this blue light would never exist in nature but yep. it's really good on camera so I'm willing to take the hit cuz I want to look <laughs> cute but uh you know the blue blocking glasses and all this stuff I'm sure you're familiar with it yep. you know in the biohacking community and now it's becoming widely known that the fake lighting that we have in the inside of all buildings in the world really, really hurts us and on our devices and stuff yep. like that. However, the blue blocking glasses look totally... I see, I was just about to Looks. say the word retarded. <laughs> Someone emailed me today and that's offensive. I'm like, what do I say? They look they look very Wacky. unattractive. Yeah, they look whack. Is anyone yeah, offended by whack? And they're just, it's a pain in the ass because then you're like, oh, I got, I'm leaving the house tonight to go to the movies or go out and I have to put on my blue right. blockers. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hassle. No so, so here's my idea. Blue blocking contacts. So after, once it's dark, you just throw in your contacts and you're good to go. And they actually don't even have to be orange because I looked into some blue blocking lenses the other day and they're pretty much clear now. <laughs> you can get them clear and they block the wavelength that suppresses melatonin that really jacks you up. So I'm like, sick, dude, like blue blocking contacts. But I've mentioned it to quite a few people and there's like, that's stupid. Who's going to do that? I'm like, I would actually use them <laughs> because the blue blocking glasses thing is kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. It's a high maintenance endeavor. I like that idea. It's not bad, right? Yeah, no, so I like that. So you entrepreneurs listening, like I'm giving you the patent right now. Take it, run with it. Here's all I ask is you give me, my friends and my family lifetime um, supply for free. It's reasonable. If you heard it here and maybe <laughs> like a little bit of equity. So what were the other uh, companies that you started that tanked uh, or so, that you just bailed on yeah. for whatever reason? So I uh, was looking at opening San Francisco's first cryotherapy place. Actually. Okay. Okay. Uh, so looked at doing that a couple of years ago, had a cloud hosting negotiation idea that basically, so I worked in developer tools for a little bit before coming into the health and wellness space and was going to start a company. Thank God I didn't, where you would negotiate people's hosting bills for them. Like if you're a software company and you're spending 100k a month on Amazon Web Services, we'd negotiate that down, and then take a percentage of the savings and all that. So looked at doing that. Looked at doing 
actually a real estate idea. So basically doing a commercial real estate thing, looked at doing another company in the tech space for people going through drug and alcohol addiction, actually. So looked at doing that. And that last idea I was really into. And that kind of led me down the path where I was like, okay, what's what, what are some of the contributing factors here? And biology and health and wellness was a very underlying issue that a lot of people struggling with with uh, drug and alcohol addiction had. And so right, right. that's kind of how... And then we ended up starting Kettle and Fire. <laughs> Interesting. And so yeah. what led you to bone broth specifically? Yeah, it's a good question. So Because, you know, there's like... People always ask me, hey, why don't you start a supplement company? I'm like, dude, there's enough goddamn vitamins. <laughs> like, totally. There's enough stuff. We don't need another supplement, okay, people? Like, yep. we have plenty. Although then sometimes like the hydrogen, that's a new one. And I'm like, ah, shit. Just when I'm like, I'm off supplements. <laughs> I've done them all. I have them all. And like then actually a really a needle moving one, so to speak, comes out. But yeah. why did you end up doing bone broth rather than some other health gadget or something? Yeah, no. So like you, I felt like the supplement space was pretty well covered. And so what I was trying to do is I was trying to focus much more on gut health and inflammation. And so for that, I was like, okay, what are the things that people use to address their gut problems? And bone broth in almost every diet, every culture, it's a very, very key part of that. And at the same time, this is back in 2014, we started looking at this. I couldn't buy it online. Like literally no one was selling it online. No one was selling it in San Francisco where I lived, which is a pretty health forward place. Yeah, it's a very foodie city too, yeah. And so I was like, this is something I want. This is something my CrossFit friends want. And as I was thinking about it, uh, my brother, who I ended up starting the company with, he tore his ACL and MCL and was bedridden for like seven weeks after surgery. And so he was like, hey, what foods can I you know, incorporate to help accelerate the healing? I recommended bone broth. And he was like, hey, there's none where I live. Where can I get it? You know. And at that moment, we were like, okay, we should start this company because literally no one is doing a bone broth that is accessible, convenient, and still made the way that we think it should be made. Like all organic ingredients, 100% bones from 100% grass-fed, grass-finished cattle, all the stuff that I care about. And so that's when we kind of came up with the idea for Kettle and Fire. We launched it under the name Bone Broths Co., which is the worst name I've ever come up with for a company. But you know, we we eventually changed. And so, Kettle and Fire is a dope name. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, that's like that could be a band name or an album, <laughs> like an album. If not a band name, it's an, it's a good album. Yeah, Kettle and Fire. Yeah, it's a good name. Yeah, I like it. And so, what was it like to deal with you know the USDA and like how do you go from just being a schmo, a dude that like goes to CrossFit and eats healthy and you're like, now I'm going to start a food company. Yeah. What are some of the legal loopholes and how do you even like get that shit going? It seems like it's an hard. insurmountable <laughs> task to me. Like, where do you even begin? You have the idea, but how do you bring something to market? What are the steps involved? It's really hard. We had the idea in 2014 and then we started and it took about a year for us to find someone that would partner with us to actually make the product. And so we had to call over 500 different manufacturing people and just say, hey, this is what we're looking to do. Can you do it? We do. No, no, no. So, then, like facilities that have commercial yeah. kitchen and all this kind of stuff. Uh, even beyond commercial kitchen. So, the packaging process that we're using, you use our stuff. Oh, it's yeah, a little it's box. Right, it's right yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah. So that's we, one of the dopest things about it is, and we'll get into the other different options available. But one of the things that I like about you guys is that it's shelf stable and it's yep. easy to transport. Like, exactly. that's amazing. Yeah. And so, I'm a big believer in health plus convenience equals lifestyle change. And so right. for us, we knew that we had to have some sort of convenient packaging or else 
people just wouldn't use it enough to actually change their habits and improve their health. And so, <laughs> Especially those of us that have tried to make our own bone broth. Yeah. Have you, did you go through that phase? Yeah, of course. Dude, yeah. go to the, I used to go to the farmer's market and get like big bison bones, like knuckles and yeah. all these like, I mean, good grass-fed pastured animals totally. and stuff like that. And I like the idea of using the whole animal too. It's just, I don't know, it's more of a um, sacrificial Native American sort of approach like to just, if you're going to have to sacrifice an animal's life, like let's not throw any of it to the dog, so to speak. Totally on board. But yeah, then I'd get in my kitchen with my goddamn crock pot and I would leave it on high, then go out and hang out in the town yep. and come home and it would have boiled over. Yep. There's like fat all over the kitchen <laughs> and oh my God. Then I try to pour it into the containers. I get hot fat on myself, burn yep. myself. It gets fucking everywhere. Then you put it in a glass, put it in the freezer, it explodes. Yeah. You put it in plastic. It I mean, it's just... Making bone broth yourself, especially if you're not it's like, pain. if you're not good at cooking, which not I'm either. not. I'm, I'm not either. I'm, I, see, I was about to say the R word again. <laughs> I'm developmentally challenged when it comes to cooking. <laughs> and um, so, yeah. So you found the same thing. Yeah, okay. of course. Okay. I mean, I tried yeah. to do the same thing. I tried to make it. It would turn out terrible. Yeah. I would have the same issues you did. And then the last issue, which... Uh, a bunch of our customers emailed us about after we launched is it makes the house smell bad. Oh my God, it's <laughs> disgusting, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it like, is. One of our customers, when she found us, she emailed us in all caps. She was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I found you. My husband won't let me make bone broth in the house. Dude, she was it, running a crock pot in her backyard because her husband wouldn't let it in the house because it made it smell. I experienced the same thing yeah. with uh, my live-in girlfriend at the time when I first got into the bone broth, maybe like five years ago. Yeah, she was like, dude, honestly, I can't. <laughs> like, I can't. I know you want to be healthy and all this, but I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, she's not into it. But I like what you're saying, the convenience equals compliance because I think yeah. that's something you guys really nailed. And I agree just as someone who... I have no problem with compliance. If bone broth, you had to make it, that was the only way to get it, I would still make it. Yep. If there weren't for people like you. So I'm good at compliance because I'm very obsessive. And like I was telling you earlier, I turn my obsessiveness toward good rather than evil most of the time now. Yeah. And so if I find something that's good for me, I do have the discipline to make it even if it's a hassle. But I've noticed coaching people, I'm like, hey, you need to take this every day and that. And then at four o'clock you take, they won't do it. Like if it's too much sure. work, the casual user of supplements or health practices just won't do it unless they have cancer or some really gnarly scare. Yeah. Then they're like, okay, I'm on board. Make me a schedule. I'll do everything right. you say. So compliance is really challenging when it comes to health. I think it's especially important at the early stages of someone's health journey. You've been on this path for a while. Like, If you think about when you started out, if someone then was to tell you everything you're doing now, where they'd be like, you have to take a hydrogen pill, you have to buy these mushrooms, you have to ferment... Like, You'd be like, how can I do all of that? That's impossible, you know? And it's a lot of overwhelming change. And I think that people change their health gradually, step by step. And we want to make those first steps as easy and accessible as possible because that's how people change. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I find uh, working with clients that there's two types very clearly. One is the like person that's like, I don't want to do any of the research. Just tell me what to do yep. and I'll do every single thing you say. I just don't want to have to learn any of it. I just trust you. Make my life for me. There's that type that's just all in. 
Then there's the type that's like, whoa, 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 this is way too much information. Just tell me what the first thing I have to start and I have to take it very incrementally, yep. slowly, just one little addition, one subtraction at a time. And it, yep. it takes more time because it's too overwhelming. The compliance is just too hard. They exactly. can comply with like, I can take one pill a day. What's it going to be? I'm like, all right, I get them on that one. Yep. It, they see some results. Yep. Then they're like, all right, this is cool. Exactly. Then what's next? Then I keep going and keep going. And then over the course of you know, working with someone for a few months, they're doing half the shit I'm doing. Right. It, it seems like a full-time job. That's yes. how people ask me like, dude, how do you find time in the day to do all the biohacks <laughs> you do? I'm like, what? This is nothing. I just normal. Yeah. It's, I just, know. it's like, is it hard to brush your teeth and like <laughs> take a crap in the morning? No, it's like, you just, what you do, you don't have to find time. It just, it's right. part of the fabric of your life. And but that's, I think, because you kicked off a positive feedback loop. Like if someone right. is going, I feel terrible now and you're telling me to do all these things and you have an experience that these things will improve your life and make you feel better, there's no positive feedback loop and you're not like reassigning and making yourself want to do those things. Right. I think once that loop starts where you're like, oh, I incorporated bone broth and my digestion is better and I'm sleeping better, like maybe I'll do the next thing that, that you recommend. You know, I, I think yeah. that's when real change can happen. Yeah, for sure. So what was it like in terms of uh, where I was going with this before? Yeah, with... sorry, I took us on tangent. No, I do that. No, I'm tangent king, bro. Like you'll, by the end of an hour, you're going to be like, wow, we took a lot of side journeys and he, he never let me answer the question. So I roll. But in terms of hoops with the USDA and the FDA and like... Painful. What's it like for someone that's like, hey, I have a great idea. I want to make these freaking gluten-free cookies or something. Like, what do you have to go through? You, you got into the manufacturing and then you know, how do you get certified organic and all the mm -hmm. stuff in order to just get it into Whole Foods? Yeah, I won't lie. It is very painful. And we probably could have launched six months sooner had we not decided that we were going to do it this way, do it by the book and be under compliance. And so with the USDA, for example, because we are a meat product, because it's considered more than 3% by volume, we have... What to do you mean? Because the protein content? No, so it's considered a meat product because... The bones, basically, between the marrow and some of the, the tendons that are still in the bones when we cook mm -hmm. them down in our bone broth, mm -hmm. it's more than 3% of the bone broth oh. is meat. Oh. And so that mm. falls under USDA jurisdiction. Marrow. So, falls under USDA jurisdiction. I just got so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love bone marrow. Oh, oh my it's God. the best. Oh, my it's God. Best. Like, when you go to a really nice farm-to-table restaurant and they dial it in with, like, the oh, butter yeah. and the little crust top like yep. oh my god it's incredible like yeah it's incredible yeah so because we fall under that definition we had to have our plant inspected usda has to sign off on all of our packaging so every time we want to tweak the packaging just a little we have to send it to them wait six to eight weeks for them to and approve you have it. to pay for that every time yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, every I bet, time I bet you get nickel and dime like oh, out the yeah. ass, dude. Oh, yeah. Every time you want to oh, make yeah. like a little adjustment to your manufacturing protocol. Oh no I mean you can't even make a small tweak. We couldn't even say like up salt 10%, pepper down 10%, for example. Yeah. If we did that, we would have to resubmit the entire thing and wait two to three months for the USDA to reapprove it. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's a good side of that from a consumer standpoint where companies have to have a certain degree of integrity and mm -hmm. in terms of truth and labeling and all this, there's already so much bullshit going on that I want to actually talk about. We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's the see, because I'm just, I like inherently just hate the government no matter what they're doing, <laughs> even if it's for my own good. I'm like, please yeah. don't protect me. F you. Yeah. How about I don't pay taxes and you don't protect me and I'll just be <laughs> on my own? Let's work on the sovereignty. So I can see from a consumer standpoint, like, that's good. You want people to have to, like, 
have truth in labeling and manufacturing processes. And uh, I just, I was up at Bel Campo Farms and I, I took a tour of their slaughterhouse and I yeah. saw the whole thing, like how strict it is. And in a sense, I was like, God, as a business owner, I felt bad for them because it's such a pain in the ass. Yep. They get like um, inspections all the time. The guys will, you know, the USDA just drops in and they're with yep. their white gloves and they're running around. I'm like, that sucks if you own the business, but that's really good if you get your meat from that particular yep. processing plant, I'm like, actually, I'm really glad that it's clean. There's no rodents. Like it's yep. all legit. The animals are treated humanely and it's trade-offs and everything, man. You know, like so USDA makes it harder for startups, but certainly, you know, they came about and they were started as an organization, I, th- I believe in the twenties or thirties. And part of that was in response to uh, a big expose that was written by, I think Upton Sinclair about the meat industry back then where they were just throwing like rats and stuff into the grinder and they would sell it as <laughs> right, sausage. Right. And you're like, oh, that's nasty. Oh, so. dude. When I first moved to Hollywood in 89, I was playing in a band and uh, we used to rehearse in a place east of downtown LA. It's called Vernon. It's just a hellhole like manufacturing area. You know, yeah. there's no residential really, but we had this rehearsal hall down there because it was cheap. You know, we got good square footage and it's right next to the, um, oh God, what's not Oscar Meyer. Um, Tyson. One of those. Yeah. yeah sure. Like one of those big slot, the slaughterhouses. And yep. it's either their slaughterhouse or their manufacturing plant. And we knew as soon as you turned off the freeway, it smells like you're pulling into the dump. Yeah. It's gross. It smells like putrid garbage. It's gross. Farmer John's. Okay. Farmer John's <laughs> processing plant. So we just know. And it's like, oh my God. And it would come through the air vents in the rehearsal hall. And it's like, Vernon <laughs> smells like putrid, rotting flesh. It was disgusting. Which yep. later, I actually became a vegetarian in part to having the experience wow. of spending so much time around that processing plant. The other thing that was weird about it is it's like the slaughterhouse with glass walls kind of thing. We did a little band photo shoot and it's probably still like this. They had this huge mural on the side of Farmer John's, which was like a big farm landscape. Whoa. And so we were like, we we're kind of like a country rock blues band. It was like very Americana. So it was a great backdrop. Yeah. So we went to do a photo shoot and there's all these fucking like FBI type guys came out. They had this really intense security. You can't take pictures anywhere like on that About. block. It's like super, super intense. And we were kind of like at the time, hmm, this is a meat processing plant where they make hot dogs and shit. What's with like the White House or the Pentagon level security? And we're, yeah. it was one of the first times I was like, ah, oh, this industry <laughs> is really funky on the, yeah. the shadow side of the food industry. Yeah. You know? I mean, that, that, so the, they don't want anyone outside knowing what's going on, like the torture and the gnarly shit that's going on in there. Oh yeah. Which later came out and why I became a vegetarian was this movie called Earthlings which is a documentary narrated. This is going back in like late 90s, early 2000s, narrated by Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> and it's a documentary about all the ways in which humans exploit animals. And it's all this like hidden camera footage from slaughterhouses and farms and, uh, and oh, yeah. even like dog breeding, animal breeding like industries. And yeah, and the rodeo industry, yeah. the circus industry, like all the industries where animals are used and abused. If you're listening to this, I would advise maybe not watching that film. It's yeah. very traumatizing. It's like a lot of the things you can't do a lot about. I don't think they're going to stop having rodeos because you think yeah. it's mean to the cows. But anyway, that's when I saw inside of those places like Farmer John's and I was like, I'm out. Like I cannot be yep. a part of this, you know, and, and was that way for a long time until I met some farmers at the farmer's market. And I was like, how do you do shit? And they explained it to me. And I was like, that actually sounds okay with me. Yes. And then my body was very ill and I just needed certain nutrients that I was missing. Yep. So anyway, I keep forgetting that I'm supposed to be interviewing you. <laughs> 
tends to happen on the show. But I get excited when I'm passionate about something that turns me off on a, <laughs> on a tangent. This is why some of these end up being double episodes. And you made the mistake of telling me you didn't have a heart out. So like we could be here for a while. But I'm so fat. I'm very fascinated, as I told you before I recorded, I'm fascinated by the way things work. Yep. Like I can't stand secrecy and lies. That's yep. why I can't stand the government because it's all bullshit. Everyone's full of shit. I don't care what side you're on. It's all secrecy, lies, and deception. And I don't like that. I like yeah. realness. I want to know what's going on. So when I interview people like you, I'm like, all right, tell me the inside scoop of how this, yeah, yeah. how it all works. You know. So what were some of the biggest roadblocks or some of the highest levels of scrutiny that you encountered when you're like, hey, we have integrity. We care about the public. We care about health. That's why we're making this food yep. product. It's really like bone broth. You could almost call a supplement in a sense more so than even a food. It's such a healing, powerfully healing food. What other hoops did you have to jump through? And did you have to get lawyers and spend a bunch of money and all that kind yes. of stuff? Yeah. So we we had to jump through a lot. I mean, one of the big things is if you, on your packaging, for example, we had to do a legal review and the USDA said, you can't say certain things. We can't say bone broth is healthy. They what? Can, they consider that a health plan. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. Ah, uh, oh, these <laughs> motherfuckers. Oh, yep. man. They, they almost didn't let us call it bone broth because they said that there's no bones in the actual product. Oh my God. Yeah. And we said, but like tomato soup, there's not a tomato sitting in that tomato soup right. you call because it's made from tomatoes. Like of course you can call it right. tomato soup. Same thing with bone broth. And oh my God, that would have just killed you guys right there. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. Of course. And so you'd we had to, to argue you'd with have the to USDA. Call it, you'd have to call it like uh, uh, animal parts boiled into water product. Yeah. Like what do you call it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They told us they wanted us to call it broth made from bones. So imagine that <laughs> on the front of a package, right? Yeah, not very marketable. Yeah, exactly. And so that was a, a multi-month negotiation with the USDA around like, guys, please, <laughs> please see sense. And like, are you paying hourly lawyers this whole time? Uh, no. So fortunately, that was us. Okay. That was just us. You can go directly back and forth with yeah. them. You don't need yeah, that. Yeah, they, they have agents. They work with your manufacturer. The oh, manufacturer. Okay. Everyone's looped into this thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, so you're like, CCing a bunch of people at the USDA, like, hey, Bob, we figured out the yeah, da da da. Exactly. And then, okay, okay. Exactly. I'm so, picturing like you have to go to court and this, I'm making it into this super gnarly, like, no, legal but, but battle. That's the crazy thing is there's no standard for bone broth. And so we just literally had to argue with them to say, hey, can we just say bone broth on our packaging? And a guy thought about it and goes, okay, you've convinced me. And he says, yes. Like, wow. That's how it works. It's just, wow, it was, so it was weird. weird to me. That's uh, so weird. Yeah. And then on the other what, side... What if you had been like, hey, um, Joe, what's your favorite charity? <laughs> oh, that's when they shut you down quick. <laughs> but you can imagine... Dude, not imagine, but you know the payola in that industry has got to be insane. Oh, yeah. But you have to send it through third parties. So like we fund a lobbyist and the lobbyist buys you dinner. Right. But there's not... you know. I mean, because how can things like aspartame... MSG, all of the hidden MSG under the other 200 names that they use yep. now. And there's a lot of lobbying, even even like um, natural flavoring. I mean, like yeah, there, yeah. there's, a lot, there's a lot of very dubious practices in the food industry where people are getting around yes. things. So that is the other side of the food industry, which is the FDA. Ah, okay, FDA. okay. Oh, good, good. I so love the this. USDA okay. covers meat and dairy products, basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the FDA, so, USDA so, is very hands-on. Okay, so let's go in a linear fashion then, if we can, which is almost impossible for my brain to do, but I'll try. So 
Is the first step then getting, because you're a meat and dairy product, meat and or dairy product, the first step is like getting the USD on board and getting no. your labeling? So the first step for us was finding a co- like a, someone that could make the product. Right, right. Okay. So we defined a source where we uh-huh. were buying these bones. Okay. We had to find someone that would actually make the product for us. Yeah. And then someone that would package it. Okay. And we had to get documents from all of those people uh-huh. and send them to the USDA. Once okay. we were like, here's the product that we can actually make. We're ready to go to market. Okay. USDA check all of this and tell us we can do it. Okay. So essentially that's like their step two. Yeah, step one exactly. is like, let's get this shit made, put in a package, and then you present something real to the USDA. Yeah, we just say, here's the formula we want to use. Yeah. Here are our sources. Here's the co-packers, yeah. the, the manufacturers that we're going to partner with to make this. Sign off. Oh, okay. and here's the packaging and all the lettering and the nutrition yeah. label and everything. Okay. Yeah. And then what about the bones? I mean, are you like, are you a farmer's like best friend where you're like, hey, that part that you guys are throwing away, yeah. we'll actually buy that stuff. Yeah, man. That, that's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about what we're doing. Like, like you said, nose to tail eating, I'm all for it. Like you right now, people will, will kill cattle, sell the meat, and then they took the bones and we're just throwing them out. And so we're buying them from farmers, giving them a new revenue stream, and also giving people health and calories from something that was just a waste product. Like, right. To me, that's really exciting from right. a sustainability standpoint. You know, and that's interesting when you make your own bone broth. I would order some online. I ordered some bones online from companies where I would order like you know pastured, really good, yep, chronic beef from, and they also will sell bones like Arizona grass raised beef. There was a U.S. Wellness Meats. Yeah, U.S. I think. Wellness is a good yeah, one. a couple couple good sites where like, dude, I geek out on like what what water are the cattle drinking? Yep. How are you slaughtering them? Are you fucking with them? Are you being mean to them? Do they have antibiotics? Like. Same. I care about the animal's welfare. Now, any badge-wearing vegan will be like, oh, how can you have, have humane slaughter? You're fucking killing it. And they have a point there. Yeah. But I do know that there's a number of different ways in which you can slaughter an animal. Some ways the animal knows it's coming. The other animals see it happening to the other animals. And then there's ways you can do it where they're literally just standing there, doot, doot, doo, doo, and all of a sudden, chuk, clunk, and yep. they're gone. Yep. And they have no clue that not anything ever happened. So I For think... Sure. If an animal's life has to be taken for the sustenance of a human's life, if you choose to live that way based on taking energy from another energetic being, then there are definitely cooler and less cool ways to do it. So I would very go, much agree. Right. So I would yeah. go to the farmer and I want to find out what goes on behind the scenes. But I go to these farmers and like, hey, I want to buy some bones for the broth, like at a farmer's market. And they're like, great. It was super expensive. <laughs> I mean, they charged me yeah. out the ass, dude. I was like, yeah, um, yeah. the bone. And that's why, like, when you guys came out, I was like, thank God, it's actually cheaper. It's not only more convenient, it's cheaper just to buy the broth ready made yeah. than to go drive to the farmer's market interview the farmer, grill them like a freaking psycho. And then they're like, yeah, the bones are 10 bucks a pound or some, some shit. Yeah. I mean, it still oh, yeah. ends up costing so much money to make your own broth. I so. know. It's crazy. So did you guys, when you approached these farmers, how did you find farmers that you felt were ethical and followed the standards of grass yep. raised, grass finished and all so that? So we had certain standards where we said everything has to be grass fed, 100% grass finished, pastured, and killed in a humane way. Right. So tell people for listening that they don't understand how many scams there are with the term grass-fed. Oh, like, so let's, yeah. let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so there's this term grass-fed. It has a sort of an official definition. Basically, you can say, you can feed a cow corn or whatever you want for 90% of its life. And the last 10% of its life, feed it grass and you'd be like, grass-fed. Oh, dude, that's yeah. so uncool. That's, I that's know. not I know. honest. I know. So 
I want to punch the farmers that do that. <laughs> I know. And so you I don't can know do... why. Like I was like such a huge liar most of my early life because I was just a criminal and a total asshole. I and mean, I was just a hurt person. And so I was a huge liar. But then once I stopped lying, now that's the thing that pisses me off the most yeah. about other people. Especially when it's like the man, when it's coming from a big entity and they're duping not just me, but so many other people. Totally. So you're like, oh, like you being Whole Foods, you're like, oh, grass-fed beef jerky. So Whole that's Foods awesome. does a good job. So they, they do? Okay. So Whole Foods is one of the few retailers that has animal welfare. It's their gap ratings that you might have seen. Right, I have so seen that. animal welfare standards. And so they, when we got into Whole Foods, they were like, let's see your sourcing documents. We want to make sure that you're actually grass-fed, grass-finished. We want to make sure that you're working with all these suppliers. They called some of our suppliers and said... What really? are your practices? How well? Yeah. Hey, man. Kudos Whole Foods to Whole is legit, foods. man. I'm very I always, impressed. With I always them. talk shit about. I call them uh, canola foods because everything has canola oil. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing that pisses me off about Whole Foods. But God bless them, man. When I land in a yeah. city, the first thing I do, honestly, is like Google Whole Foods. Like I need to totally. know where I can find some organic food. Yeah, so that's I mean, good that, to know. That's the thing. Like there are large companies that it's really hard to do everything perfectly. Right. And I think that. Personally, Whole Foods is doing a pretty darn good job. Like cool. they are doing an incredible job selling billions of dollars of mostly organic, mostly good for you produce and giving people access to that stuff. Like right. I'm very on board with that, even if they're not perfect. Yeah. You know? Of course. I mean, and I think it's difficult at this stage in our evolution to have an entity that's that big be perfect. I mean, it's oh, yeah. not like it's not realistic to expect that you have an entire grocery store chain that's canola oil free. Yeah. You know, like yeah. my, my fantasy is that like everything is totally legit. Yep. So people like me that are a bit more discerning, you, you have to, you know, thank God Whole Foods there. I just dig around a little bit more than your For average sure. person. I For actually, sure. I look at the labels and I'm like, eh. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's always going to be bad yeah. stuff, right? So give us a, a little bit more on the whole grass fed, grass finished, controversy so people can differentiate between the two, those yep. people listening that do eat animal products. Yep. So so there's basically grass-fed. And you uh, vegans, I'm so sorry. Just hang <laughs> hang with us um, yeah. and we'll, we'll get to you. So there's grass-fed, which just basically means that the cattle has been fed grass at some point in their life. Then there's right. grass-fed, grass-finished, which means that they've been fed grass for the majority of their life, at least 70%. And then during at least the last 15% of their life, they were also fed grass. So there's a tiny slice where they may not have been. And then there's 100% grass-fed. And that means the entirety of their life. Okay. And so what we're looking for then on any product is it should say 100% grass-raised or 100% grass-finished. But this is where things get confusing. Uh, so the okay. USDA has not said that there's not what they call a standard. So there's no standard around this stuff. And so some places will say grass-fed, grass-finished, and they feed it 100% grass. Some people will say grass-fed, grass-finished, and they'll feed it like you know, 85% grass rate, 90%. There's not really a standard and the USDA isn't strict about it because it's such a new consumer-driven thing right. that companies can kind of claim a lot of what they want. And why does it suck to eat meat products that are eating corn and soy and things? Yeah. I mean, to me, I, my answer is... If you look at any animal that's at all similar to a cow out in nature, they're not eating grains because they can't find them. They don't exist in yeah. nature. <laughs> There's not like corn bushes where like yeah. <laughs> elk run around and fucking eat soybeans. Like that doesn't yeah, yeah. happen. Uh, animals that have that, what are they called? A ruma, ruma, a ruman, whatever type of stomach they have. They're designed by God to eat grass. Like that's yeah. what they eat. Yeah. You know? And that's why they have like four different stomachs. Yeah. Different there you go. Yeah. 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 And all that. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. to me, it's just common sense. Like, well, A, you're screwing with that animal by forcing them to eat 
shit that's... I mean, now have you seen the stories like they feed cows Snickers and stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like really weird. Yeah. It gets so gnarly, those poor it's animals. Disgusting. But from our health standpoint, like why not just eat a bone broth that's made out of corn and soy fed animals sure. or eating a steak that... Like remember like good steakhouses, even like uh, I think it's called like Morton's in Beverly Hills. It's like the steakhouse. You go in there and you're like, hey, is your steak grass-fed? They're like, no, it's yeah. 100% corn-fed and they're proud. I'm like, uh, do you guys yeah. get the memo? <laughs> like what? So yeah. what's healthier about grass-fed meat than so, whatever else? So a couple of things. The hormone levels basically, are di- they differ. You know, just like if you fed a human only carbohydrates, the body composition of that human is very different than the body composition of someone that eats you know, organic produce lean meat, you know, meats, vegetables, this kind of stuff. And so with cows, it's a similar thing. So why a lot of steakhouses like or corn fed is because cattle will turn those carbohydrates into more fat. And so you get oftentimes like a more marbled kind of juicier kind of meat, which people tend to like the taste of better. Now, however, a lot of that fat, the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acid ratios are off. And so if you look at meat from a grass-fed cattle, especially the, the fat around it and in the meat itself, it will have much friendlier, much higher rates of omega-3 to omega-6 ratios. That is not the same thing with corn-fed cattle. And so if you're someone that cares about nutrition, omegas, you know, uh, amino acids and stuff, grass-fed is definitely the way to go. Okay, yeah. That makes sense, again, just from a common sense standpoint. The thing that freaks me out about eating animals that have eaten food that is not good for them is that I'm eating concentrated... Mm-hmm. amounts of whatever they eat. It's like, you are what you eat, yes, but you are what you ate, ate. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like a lot of the commodity food that farm animals are fed is not only not their native natural diet, but is also GMO. Yes. So they're eating GMO corn yep. and GMO soy, just really like the gnarliest things that a animal could eat. And then you're eating the fat of that animal Yep. where all of that shit is concentrated. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it's especially, uh, this is especially important in bone broth. And this is why I would oh. never, because of the marrow. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, with humans and with animals, a lot of toxins end up going into your, in your bone marrow. And so... This is incredibly important, especially with bone broth, because it's the fattiest tissue in the body is the marrow. Wow. It's like solid fat, basically. Yeah. Oh, that's so creepy, dude. So yeah, so in because that's true, because when you detox your body as a human, that's why infrared saunas, which by the way, I'll show you my sauna when we're done. I just got it. It's from Clearlight. It's amazing. It's a crown jewel of the the, uh, (laughs) home here. But that's why when you take a sauna, why you detox so much is it gets the fat-soluble toxins out of your body. And then you ideally after a sauna, you want to take something that binds those toxins that have been deposited into your digestive tract, like (laughs) a bentonite clay or a apple pectin, something that like adsorbs those toxins out. <laughs> but I never thought about it from an animal standpoint. Yeah, yeah. So if your animal's eating toxic water and toxic food, then you're eating the fat, especially in a broth. Yes. You're having concentrated whackness. Yeah. Or like liver or any sort right. of organ meats. Definitely Dude, watch out. nar nar. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's tripping me out. Okay. All the more reason. We'll be right back after this important announcement. After basically destroying my health, including my gut health for the first half of my life, I've been spending many years researching ways that I can fix it. And I'm really stoked to have found this company, Biome, 
that gives you the ability to test your gut health from home. Now, you might have heard of some of these gut tests that you can do at home. However, most of them just focus on the bacteria, while Biome provides you with the full profile of not only your gut's bacterial, but fungal species. That's a really crucial piece. Not only that, they have an insanely cool probiotic that I've been using that not only includes beneficial bacteria, but also fungus. Yes, it's gross, but you need all this stuff in your body. So here's what you can do with Biome to optimize your gut health, which I just might add really affects your overall health in so many ways. Like you have to fix the gut. This is something I'm learning and all my biohacking adventures. So here's how it works. You purchase the in-home kit. You follow the instructions. You collect a sample of your poop with a swab. It's not as gross as it sounds. It's actually really easy. You mail it in, and then you get your biome gut report, which tells you what's going on down there, okay? And then you actually get to get on the phone with a live nutritionist that's going to make recommendations. It's a very cool system they've created, and it's really, really thorough and effective test. So go to biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist. That's B-I-O-H-M health.com forward slash lifestylist. And use the code lifestylist at checkout to save 15% off your order. So that's biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist. Use the code lifestylist to save. You're going to get your gut report, order some probiotics with the fungus in there. They even have a great prebiotic product. Very cool company making it really easy to get your gut healthy and keep it that way. And now back to the interview. Let's go back to the story. Yeah. Of you get past the USDA. They're mm-hmm. like, cool, all the meat stuff you're doing, all that shit. You guys found good farmers. You yep. grill them. You feel like you vetted them to the point where they are grass finished. They're not treating the animals like crap. Yep. And then what happens then at the FDA level? And how do you market a product that is so healing and so nutritious without claiming health benefits and getting into all that weird stuff? So you can claim certain health benefits as long as you can back them up. And so we can make claims around protein content. We can make claims around collagen content. What we can't do is we can't say, this bone broth has collagen, which will help with digestion. Right, or heal your leaky gut or whatever. Okay. And so we can't make any of those. Claims. God, that sucks. But I can. I know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> so you guys listening, he's not saying this. <laughs> FDA officers, you cannot do anything to Justin. But I'll tell you what, since I got on bone broth, like my gut issues, my digestion, inflammation, allergies, histamines, like all sorts of seemingly unrelated things that based on my research, I found out are all related to leaky gut. Yep from eating inflammatory foods yep. and glyphosate and all these pesticides and toxins. The more bone broth I drink or eat, depending on how you look at it, because sometimes I make like a really thick dope broth with all kinds of other crazy stuff, the better my whole digestive system goes. Um, I've cured myself, and I can use the word cure because I don't sell bone broth. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be really careful with the languaging, you know? Yep. But I used to have like gas or constipation or diarrhea and heartburn all the time. Now also I've eliminated a lot of those really offensive foods. Like for them, I want to say I'm gluten-free 100% because I have my moments where yeah. I'm at a nice restaurant and they bring out the French bread. I'm like, ah, fuck. Every once in a while, you know, I fail on that. But for the most part, I'm not eating foods that aggravate my digestive system and I'm doing tons of bone broth. And I can say, dude, that that's definitively what I changed and I'm I'm doing really great. Yeah. I mean, this is why I think one of the reasons that I think bone broth is so important, especially for people in America eating a kind of Western diet is 
if you look at the way ancestral people ate versus how people eat today, the biggest gap in my mind, if, even if you're eating paleo or keto or whatever, and eating high quality foods, you know, organic fruits, vegetables, meats, everything. One of the biggest gaps that you see is our ancestors used to eat a ton of organ meats and bone broth. Right. That is completely gone from today's diet. And those organ meats and bone broth are basically the only foods that have this set of amino acids that our bodies need to function properly. And it's especially, those amino acids especially help with digestion. And so if you look at cooking 100 years ago, you were probably eating kidney pie, sweetbreads, you know, all of these things. That <laughs> When was the last time you, you know, maybe you're different. <laughs> no, but like no, my no. mom hasn't yeah. had an organ meat for probably a decade. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and you just so, made me think of something funny. The sweetbreads, when I was a vegetarian, I went to New York. This is maybe going back 10 years when there was very little organic or vegetarian yeah. food there. And I'm at this restaurant called The Breslin at the Ace Hotel. And I was a vegetarian. I'm like, oh, God damn it. I could never find any veggie food in New York. And I look on the menu. I was like, oh, sweetbreads? I was like, oh, sick. <laughs> Finally, something vegetarian. I ordered it. I'm halfway through it. And I'm like... This is really weird. And I asked the waitress, I was like, is this bread? I'm unclear like what this is. She's like, that's um, lamb intestines or something. I was yep. like, oh my God. I was like, that's a vegetarian. It's like the grossest meat you could eat. So just listener, uh, buyer beware. If, yeah. if you don't eat animals, do not order sweet bread. But yeah, so going back, I mean, even like you think about when they called chicken soup, Jewish penicillin, everyone, yeah. even if you weren't Jewish, when you get sick, your grandma gave you chicken uh, yep. soup, right? Now, this is shitty Campbell's chicken soup that's probably like even in the 70s when I was fed that by my granny. It was God knows what was in there, BPA in the fucking can. And, uh, you know, the animals are all eating GMO craziness. But this is a tradition. Well, they don't actually use real bones either. It's the gross piece. Do you want to know how they make it? Yeah, tell me. Gross piece. So what Campbell's does and what Pacific does too is they have a chicken bone broth. I never trusted Pacific. God damn it. So they have a chicken bone broth. Campbell's just bought them actually. Okay. they have a chicken bone broth. And what they do is they take a bone paste. So they mash these tiny shitty bones with no marrow, no connective tissue. Right. Just bones. They mash them into a powder. Right. And they mix it with some binders to make this like bone sludge. And right. then they shoot water through that. So it like sort of infuses and makes their bone broth. And it's gross. Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> Try drinking it. It's also why their bone broth has literally no collagen in it. Because there's no connective tissue, there's no marrow, there's nothing right. in it, but crushed up bones. Right. Yeah, that can't be good. I'm just weary of those huge brands like that anyway. Yeah. I mean, like when you look at like the Pacific almond milk, if you look at that, it's like first ingredient is, is, yeah, is water. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what kind of water? Like if I buy any product and it just says water, I'm like, that means tap water. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like, I'm sure. not having that. It better say reverse osmosis or whatever. Like, That's what you'll see on our label. Is it? Yeah. Nice job. We're yeah. doing a fist bump, you guys, <laughs> for listeners at home. Yeah, well, I, that's why I work with you guys. And, you know, I'm like, I tell people about the products like yours that I find because I geek out. I do my research. I don't know if I've grilled you guys on your water, but I was, um, I was a, another bone broth company, uh, beef company called Arizona Grass Raised Beef, and they make a really good bone broth, but it comes frozen and, you know, it's a commitment. It's yep. very expensive. And, yeah. You know, it expires and it's a whole thing. It's a little more high maintenance, but a good product. And I literally called their customer service. I was like, hello, my name's Luke. Uh, I'm about to buy your product. I need to know where your cows are getting their water. Like what water are they drinking? A, B, what water do you use to make the broth? They're like, oh, sir, I have no idea. We'll get back to you. And they they were cool. They researched it and they're like, okay, it's well water. 
which is probably pretty good. I yep. mean, it depends if the well's contaminated. If yeah. it has high lead or something, that's going to end up in the bones. Not ideal. Yeah, yeah. But they're not drinking city water that's been sure. piped in. So I'm cool with the water the, the animal's drinking. And then they're like, and we use triple filtered reverse osmosis, whatever water. It's like, all right, cool. So there's no, there's no contaminants in the water that's the base of the soup. Yep. Because a lot of people don't know this shit. Anything you buy, dude, any kombucha, beer, wine, soups, stocks, anything that has liquid water in it, you better look at the label. You're drinking oh, yeah. tap water, dude. Oh, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm a little more paranoid than the average person, but I don't care where you get tap water on the planet. That shit is just disgusting. Yeah. Tap water is not meant for human consumption. I yeah. don't care what the government tells you. Yeah. Don't trust the man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you'll see like the water reports, like from LA, they send you this thing in the mail every year from the uh, the DWP. Yeah. They're like, hey, we just wanted you to know LA is ranked number seven in the world's top tap water. I'm like, people get that and they're like, oh, I could just drink it out of the yeah. sink. I'm like, bro. Dude, try testing that stuff with a at-home chemical kit or something. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, I don't oh, know. Man. This is it's, what I want. <laughs> it's super gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what happens at the FDA level? We were talking about like the health claims so and there's, things like that. So there's two governing bodies. Okay. The USDA, which we fall under because we're considered a meat product. Then there's the FDA. FDA is so hands-off, it's not even funny. So with supplements, you will find a lot of supplement companies can legally put something in their supplement product and not put it on the label. The FDA is okay with that. Oh, you sons of bitches. Yeah. Because I always read the labels on my supplements. I'm like, okay, I'm making sure it doesn't have excipients and magnesium stearate and all these binders and fillers and stuff. They don't have to put that. Ah, come on. Yeah. So the USDA is very proactive Uh about saying, we want to make sure no one gets sick. They're proactive about the health of the consumer. Right. The FDA is very reactive. And so with the FDA, they go, anything goes, but if someone gets sick and we get a complaint, will come down on you hard. Okay. And so that means that if you're starting a supplement company, you can pretty much claim whatever you want. The odds of you getting caught are minuscule because who's going to get a supplement that they buy tested? And then even if you get caught, you sort of have limited liability and consumers are often very bad at saying, this is actively what made me sick. You know, if it's just a supplement, right? Because you have to get multiple of them writing the FDA. They have to be able to prove that it was this thing that they introduced their diet that got them sick. And just very, very hard to prove right. causality. And so those are the two major so, operating models. So with the FDA though, these are the guys that come down on you if you make health claims and stuff. I mean, I... I that's the USDA. Oh, that's the USDA? Yeah. Well, then what about like a company that doesn't do beef or dairy? Like I make... A, oh, yes. Yeah, like yes, I, yes. I make a supplement and I'm like, hey, my spirulina cures yes. brain... So, you know, so whatever. that is like, the FDA. The only way they will come down on you is if they get a consumer complaint. They're very reactive uh-huh. and they're certainly trying their best. Yeah. But if you're a supplement company that's small and flying under the radar and they don't get too many complaints about yeah. you, you can do almost whatever you want. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. It's so complex. I get pissed at government agencies like that. But then I have to remember, I live in America and like, we're pretty awesome. There's places on the planet that yeah. have way worse Fucking regulatory China, agencies in, in the sense that they don't care about the public's interest and there's, you can't trust any of the vendors. So, so in China, yeah. they've literally had cases where people will sell a dozen eggs and make some of them plastic. Oh my God, dude. 
That's madness. They're just plastic. And so you throw it on the saucepan <laughs> and it melts and starts bubbling like plastic. And they're just like, oh, I must have got a plastic egg. Oh my God. See, and that's, that's why I can't complain. I mean, you yeah. know, we have our issues here, but a lot of the standards are pretty good uh, in that do. case. Yeah. So tell us, you know, I know you can't make medical claims and health claims and stuff like that, but what are some of the, how I'm sure you, you're well-versed in your ability to speak on it, but why is bone broth good for you anyway, as like a food that we should have as part of our diet? Because we were talking about how back in the day we would have eaten livers and hearts yeah. and even brains and other organ meats. Yep. And in fact, I've done a little research into ancestral diets and the organ meats were really like the most prized part exactly. in many yeah. cultures. And you'd actually feed the muscle meats, like the filet mignon would go to the dogs. Yep. <laughs> and then you would eat, you know, the liver or the, the fucking the it, it spleen or something. It is literally the most bone marrow organ meats. They're the most nutrient dense pieces of an animal. Why do they taste so gross? <laughs> I, know, Not, I know. Bone broth is good. Like marrow, I'm on board with, but still, my mom used to make me liver and onions when I was a kid, you yeah. know? And I was just like, I was like, oh, it was so disgusting. <laughs> I think because maybe we're not indoctrinated into, you know, those tastes and flavors that mm -hmm. are sort of pungent. And, and really quite strong. Yep. If you're not fed those foods as an infant and into your childhood, then you just never, they're too strong. You never get used to them. You're yeah. used to something more bland. For sure. But give us a little more of the history there in terms of ancestral food and all the organs and bone broth and all that. Yeah. So basically with ancestral food, you know, cultures for thousands of years have been making bone broth, using the bones, breaking them for the bone marrow. Eagles, in fact, have been seen to like swoop down, grab a bone, drop it on a rock. It cracks and they'll like suck the marrow out of it. So people have incorporated organ meats in all sorts of rituals and diets and stuff like that. Now for us, we've seen that there is an incredible concentration of key amino acids and nutrients that are in organ meats and bone broth that are not found in many other foods. And so for example, bone broth is one of the most bioavailable and best ways to get a bunch of these key amino acids and nutrients into your diet. Collagen, gelatin, glycine, stuff like this. And all of these are essential amino acids, meaning that your body does not manufacture them, but needs to get them from your food sources. And if you're not eating any sort of organ meat and you're not incorporating bone broth into your diet in some way, your body is guaranteed deficient in some of those essential amino acids. Okay, dude, I interviewed a guy the other day from New York. He's the juice king of New York. Great mm -hmm. guy, Marcus Antebi. He's the founder of a company called Juice Press. He's also a very ardent vegan. Sure. And, you know, I respect people's paths, like whatever, I would say whatever gets you through the night. Like, I really don't care what other people do. I don't proselytize. I don't, yeah. I'm not someone that's like, you don't eat bacon, bro. You should be eating a lot of bacon. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, yeah. I really don't care. Eat rocks. I don't give a shit. But he's like telling me, he's like, oh, you don't know the science. You don't know the chemistry. There is no proof that your body needs any of the nutrients in animal foods and all they do is hurt you. And... Every point he made countered every guest I've ever had on. Yeah. And I don't like handpick people that support my particular dietary yeah. choices. I just like, hey, I like your product. You seem like a cool guy. I'm going to have you on the show. I don't like try and skew my audience's lifestyle. Like, I don't, they can do whatever. But everything he said went against every like PhD, every neurosurgeon. I mean, really, yeah. really smart ass people that I've interviewed and people like you that are just, you know, lifestyle entrepreneurs. So, if I wanted to not eat animals for whatever reason, are you telling me that the amino acid profile in bone broth is not replicated in the plant kingdom or can I yeah. fake it somewhere else? Not really. Okay. No, it's just really hard. Like if you think about animals from a biochemical standpoint, what do plants have to do? They grow starches and carbohydrates because they need to stay stiff. They need to stay upright 
and they need to have leaves that photosynthesize stuff. Animals are completely different. They're more dynamic system. They need to have joints that are like things that uh, amino acids and joint tissue that allows for movement. Like that's not really a thing in the plant kingdom for the most part. You know, like plants don't move on a natural basis, and so they need different building blocks for things that move. And we're human. We are much closer to an animal than a plant. And so we are an animal. Yeah, right, <laughs> we're not exactly. closer. Exactly. Uh, we're just a smarter cow, basically. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. And so there are things that you can get in animal foods that you can't get in plants. I am all for and very understanding the, the moral arguments against eating animals. However, I think that the reality is we're just like animals that have reproduced a lot on a rock in space. And like the way that we've evolved, we've done it eating animals. There's a noticeable difference uh, if you look at geological timelines where you can see where people started to eat animal fat. And that's when our brains developed more. That's when we became basically humans once we got the capacity to hunt and eat animal fat, get the super concentrated nutrients. That's when our brains developed. That's when we you know, started becoming basically a species that was removed or slightly different than uh, the rest of the animal kingdom. Right. And I really do sympathize. And I think that there are so many abhorrent things about today's meat industry and about the way that we treat animals. But I think that throwing it out and saying we don't need this is is throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And, and I think that it leads to worse health outcomes. It seems like to me, a lot of the, the beef, no pun intended, <laughs> is I think that people like me, because it was largely true when I became a vegetarian, everything was factory farms. Mm -hmm. Like we're in LA now. When you drive to San Francisco on the five freeway, you drive by a couple of these CAFO farms. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at those poor cattle and it's like... disgusting. Dude, I mean, not only the smell, but you just look at their quality of life and it's like, I don't want to support that. Like I I don't eat at McDonald's. I don't eat meat from anywhere unless... You know, I don't really cook, but if I went to Whole Foods, I'm getting like the number five highest animal welfare thing or I'm not getting it. And I get my meat here almost exclusively from Bell Campbell where I've been to the farm. Like I've seen the whole process. Bell Campbell's great. I've met the farmers. They're really good people. They don't hate animals. They're not Satanists. Like they're cool. They understand the value of living organisms and how they should be treated and all that. So I think the issue is a lot of people just sort of like categorize all animal foods as this horrendous system Yep. when that is not in fact the case due to public demand and conscious entrepreneurs like you yes. that are like, I'm not buying my bones from these assholes that are like mean to the land and mean to the animals. Exactly. Like a change definitely has to happen. And I think that we're in the early stages of that shift happening. However, the last thing I'll say about vegans is I have seen extraordinarily low long-term compliance rate for veganism and a lot of people that after several years of sustained veganism will reincorporate animal protein. And you know how they do it is by bone broth. By bone broth, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I have a lot of vegan friends that are like, bro, I'm in year four, I'm dying over here. And I'm like, hey man, cool. Don't eat a raw steak. You know what I'm saying? Like, Totally. Just get on some bone broth. No animals are killed to make bone broth or no animals are killed so that we can make bone broth. You know, we're taking a waste product, making calories out of it. And it will provide all the essential nutrients that you need as a vegan or a vegetarian, really, so that you don't feel what about shitty the, all the what time. What about the B vitamins? That's a big thing that a lot of the paleo proponents say. Like, you can't get adequate amounts and enough of a diverse profile of B vitamins from any 
plant-based diet. And even if you supplement, like B vitamins are essentially made from fermentation. Like if you buy like a B vitamin pill, so it can be made in a laboratory, but still you're not getting the complete biological profile of a B vitamin that would be... I totally sympathize with that. I don't think that the way to optimum health is veganism or vegetarianism. However, if that's the way you believe, if you're doing vegetarianism, veganism, whatever, and you're drinking bone broth, which I guess would make you not technically either one of those, but Mm -hmm. whatever. I think that having B vitamin deficiency is probably better than having B vitamin deficiency and being deficient in all of these essential amino acids, proteins, stuff like that. Right, right. So I think it doesn't solve the problem, but it helps it a little bit. Right. And then there's the other thing about it, because I'm just so curious, especially as I said, just off the heels of this interview, (laughs) like Marcus just went off on me, dude, because he asked me before the interview, he's like, are you vegan, bro? You plant-based? I was like, no, dog. I just had a a delicious elk burger from Bear Burger, you know? And he's like, no, man, we need to talk. (laughs) So he just like went off and I'm, you know, that's the beauty of having a show. I don't... It's great. I'm happy to let people express their opinions and experience, but uh, same. that's the thing that I was wondering about was the B vitamins and then for women, the iron, because they're losing so much iron through menstruation. There's not really plants that have that bioavailable iron. But the other thing is the omega-3s. And every vegan will tell me, oh, hemp seeds and chia seeds. I'm like, A, if the seed shell has been broken, it's probably oxidized. You're eating rancid inflammatory fats. Also, it's very difficult for the body to convert omega-3s from plants. Vitamin A, the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin K. It just seems like there's a lot of stuff in the animal kingdom that you can't get in adequate amounts in a plant-based diet. And if you can get an adequate amounts, it's not in a form that your body's able to recognize and really utilize. Yep, because available. Yeah, exactly. because the animal has sort of like concentrated the energy of the sun, which has been concentrated in the plants. Then it's concentrating it in its organs, its fat and its meat and its bones. Yep. Then we're taking like essentially like a cow is a giant supplement. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like, <laughs> it's done us the, the wonderful service of taking in all those nutrients from the environment, yeah. constant, or a fish, even concentrating them into you know the organs and the meats and then we take that and we're getting like mega doses of all those nutrients and as you said looking back at geological records human records based on where people have lived and how their brains have evolved that because we've eaten those concentrated nutrients we're here today because of that yeah that makes logical sense to me yeah that said i don't give a shit what people eat live on cheerios it's none of my business yeah i hope they don't do that but but the the other thing that's trippy about it just because hey we might as well go there if we're gonna go there because i you know it's a thing that i've struggled with a lot man because i you know if i meet a dog i'm like wow this dog's amazing i don't want to eat that dog yeah i go to farms i pet the cattle i pet a horse i mean if horses tasted good which i'm assuming they don't otherwise we'd be eating them when I see a horse, I don't have an inclination. You know, I'd really like to slit its throat and pull its heart out and put it on a plate and fucking eat it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I just, it seems weird because I'm very divorced from that as not being an indigenous natural human that lives in accordance with the laws of nature. Yeah, yeah. I'm very far removed from nature. So I have this disconnect from watching cartoons where bears are little cute, cuddly things that yep. are your friend and you have a teddy bear. So I don't want to go out and eat a bear. Yeah. It's a spiritual disconnect. That said... I also think about it from the other perspective and I want to see what you think. I think agriculture, no matter what you're growing, destroys the planet, mm-hmm. A, and that one animal's life is not necessarily less or more inherently valuable than another's. So say I am a kale farmer, I buy some land, I'm plant-based, I don't believe in farming animals. And so I take a bunch of tractors and I mow down a hill or a forest. Yeah. 
I'm killing probably to grow an acre of kale. Think about the calorie, like the net calories you're getting yeah. versus raising one cow, okay, on the same parcel of land. Yep. How many animals actually have to die to raise an acre of kale to get the caloric value yeah. versus one animal? So how many rabbits, how many... And this is not a justification to trick myself into ethically thinking meat's okay. It's just a trippy way to look at stuff. Yeah. No, I know. So how many gophers, how many snakes, how many lizards, how many birds and their nests and their young... How many insects? Yeah, like... how many insects, how many grubs, how many worms, how much fungi has been killed to grow the plants. And so it doesn't really matter if you have a bunch of goats or some sheep on land or if you're growing kale and carrots. If you're taking land and you're fucking peeling all the vegetation and all the animals off it and you're growing anything, you're fucking the environment up and you're killing a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then you take that kale, you pick it all, you just killed all the bugs that are now using that ecosystem, right? Yep. And then you wash it off and you put it in a truck and you ship it to Whole Foods. And then that truck is killing hundreds of thousands of bugs yeah. <laughs> on the windshield. And then you drive your car. It's, in other words, it's like if you really, really, truly wanted to be plant-based and not kill anything in order to live, then you can't drive a car. You have to farm your own vegetables and you have to do it in a patch of land that's totally raw, natural, wild land yeah. in which no animals have been killed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's Can't like refertilize using manure for Right, animals. right. So it's just, I don't yeah. know. It's weird. I, I, I think the solution that we're looking for is people need to stop having sex. Yeah. <laughs> if you truly care about the environment, don't there fuck anybody. People, yeah. Don't make kids because <laughs> overpopulation necessitates the need for this crazy agriculture. Yep. It's like the only way to truly like farm sustainably and ethically and humanely is to grow food indoors under laboratory conditions, under lights like we're looking in, yep. where no animals are killed. But even then, you're still mm. killing a plant. And yep. who's to say that that plant's life has any less value than a grasshopper, than a mouse, than a rabbit, than a dog, than a cat, than a horse, than a... You yeah. know, it's like... It's trippy to think about. In order for any living thing to live, it rapaciously has to feed on other forms of energy. Yeah. I mean, that's the energy pyramid. Right? Yeah. So this is just... It's like a, anything that can't drink the sun's energy has to get it by killing something else that can. Exactly. So I think what I'm saying is, in my Flintstonian cartoonish way of putting this all together, is that if I truly wanted to cause no harm on any living things, I would have to live on sun and be a breatharian, do water and yep. sun. Because anything I possibly eat to sustain my own life has to kill something else. I would argue then you're committing self-harm though. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. So, right, right. And so, I don't know that it's possible. Right. This is, and this is the dilemma. This is the shit that I think about when I lay in bed. And I do. <laughs> I'm like, because I see both sides of it, because I love animals, man. And also, as someone who is very Same. ill and malnourished from taking them out of my diet. And then I care about the environment, I care about the land. And if you go, if you go look at some farmland, dude, that land has been raped and destroyed. I don't, Big agricultural farmland. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So, Having said all that, that's my fucking rant on this thing. Give me your whole take on agriculture, farming plants versus farming animals, the ethics of it, the environmental impact, all that. Where are you at with it? Because this is as far as I can get with it. Yeah. And I've talked about this before on the show and people have been like, oh, you're just trying to justify yeah. eating meat. And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm trying to justify 
all of this and find some sense because yeah. <laughs> it's all very confusing. You know, and it I, I want to be as conscious as possible. I care about the environment. I care about my own body. I care about my friends, my family, my listeners. I want what's best for the highest good. And if I ever came to the place where I thought, wow, living on kale and avocados and almonds like I used to is best for the whole universe, then I will do that. But I'm just not convinced. Yeah. So give me your spiel as someone who makes a living off repurposing animal parts. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put that. I think that from a philosophical level, the biggest argument against eating animals that I've come across is, I think, the moral argument. Far and away. I don't think that the nutrition argument stands up. I don't think any other argument really has much merit from a vegan vegetarian standpoint, except for the one about the morality of eating animals. And so I think about this. Uh, in so a you don't ways. believe like all this shit, the China study and all this, like meat gives you cancer. It seems like all the studies no, that I mean, are. If you look at those though, they correct for lifestyle things and then the differences basically go away. And so you correct for lifestyle differences. It is true that people who eat meat tend to have worse lifestyles and that causes a whole host of other problems. However, given that most people are meat eaters and it takes a level of education, self-awareness, probably economic stability to be vegan and vegetarian and stick with that through everything you have to do, I think it's very understandable for that group to have better health outcomes than like everyone in America, which is pretty much everyone that eats meat. So, <laughs> right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of a skewed, like the test. It, yeah, it's, they, it's, a yeah. Bad, it's a bad sample. And, right, and you okay, can look okay. at breakdowns of the China study. I found it very unconvincing if you correct for some of these things. Okay. The findings that were game-changing, like basically go away. Right. So anyway, the only argument that I've found have any merit is the moral one. Okay. That one I think is a decent argument. I mean, yeah. if you think about, and I think this way, about evil in the world is like the suffering present in conscious beings. You know, you could think of consciousness as kind of a multiplier on suffering. And so if suffering is like a five, humans might be a 10. And so like a suffering human might have a 50 score. You know what I mean? In terms of suffering, like we want to fix that. However, and then I think uh, animals are less conscious than humans. And then insects or fish are probably less conscious than animals. And then it probably goes insects. In terms of like self-awareness and intelligence. Self-awareness, like some sort of self-actualization, some sort of understanding of what's going on in the body. Like, from all that we can tell, worms kind of can't feel pain. And I've so, heard that said about fish. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I've heard that about fish too. I don't know. <laughs> when I was a little kid, my dad was a, still a very avid fisherman. And mm-hmm. I loved going fishing because I love being out in nature and I love seeing the fish. But yeah. when you have to drag them out of the water and hit them with a the goddamn rock and yeah. smash their skull, <laughs> I felt really bad. Yeah, Like even just pulling the hook out of their mouth, I was like, oh God, this is so uncool. Yeah. Yeah, and but I didn't know at that time if that sure. I don't know if it's true that they can't, <laughs> that they can't feel pain. But anyway, that's just my own my own issue. Sure. So I think about these different kind of levels of suffering, and and the way I think about it is the best case scenario is you want to decrease first and most importantly the amount of human suffering in the world, and then kind of move on to animals. And I happen to think that an individual's reality as a human is in large part constructed by what they put in their bodies, like. If you are unhealthy, you're unhappy, you're depressed, you're, you have gut issues, that is affecting your reality in a really negative way. And it's really increasing the amount of suffering that you experience as a fully conscious being at the kind of the top of the consciousness food chain. And so I tend to think that that is worse than a lot of you know, animal suffering. That said, there's more animals than people. You know, there's like a ton of other 
people that would argue against that. I just think that reducing human suffering should be the first priority. That does not mean, though, that we should have license to torture animals to the extent that big food is doing that right now. And so I think the second part is, as being a conscious human, there's almost nothing you can do to reduce the impact of big food by going vegetarian, vegan. Like It just doesn't matter. Such a small percentage of people do it. People tend to eating meat again because they feel bad and all of this kind of stuff. I think that the way forward, and where I've kind of ended on this, is you want to create a food system that treats people well, treats animals well, and treats both us as animals and animals as animals as the creatures that we are. So give them access to real food, clean water, treat them well, minimize suffering. And I think that you will have more of an impact by voting with your dollars and saying, this is the food system I want to create. I'm only going to buy 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef that have been treated humanely. I'm only going to buy pastured chickens you know, that have been, again, killed humanely. I think that cutting down on meat consumption, totally fine, probably a good idea. However, I think that in our society, we probably do eat too much meat. However, I think it's going way too far to say, I'm going to cut all meat out of my diet. And by doing so, I'm going to drastically reduce the amount of suffering in the world. Way more good has been done by the 3 million people that have decided to eat grass-fed, pastured meat than by the 3 million people that have said, I'm going to cut this out of my diet completely. You know, There's the other part of it too, which is the huge variation in farming practices and how destructive those practices are not only to the animals, but to the environment. Mm-hmm. And in the plant-based proponents would argue that like, you know, like the movie Cowspiracy and all this stuff, there's a lot of stuff that comes out and then you find out like, oh, actually the science doesn't really hold up, you yep. know? A lot of stuff is sort of skewed or just totally made up or just not valid, you know? It's kind of like some of the climate change, global warming stuff. It's like, yeah. you know, you're like, but there's more ice in the North Pole now <laughs> than there has been in 4,000 years. Uh, you know, there's definitely holes in some of the stories. So with that, it's like, when I went to Belcampo Farms, they took this basically arid desert, you know, 22,000 mm-hmm. acres. And by using the old school kind of old world European methods of yep. farming and agriculture, they have brought this land back to life raising animals yep. because they move the animals around in a way that mimics the way that animals migrate in nature. Yep. So when you go back to the United States and the plains of the West that were full of, you know, 50 million bison before the European settlers came here, this was like lush land. All of these places that are now barren deserts and are unfarmable. The Dust Bowl. Were the Dust Bowl. Were fertile because the animals were there. Exactly. Cloven foot animals like trudging up the dirt, shitting everywhere, you know, like making the soil super awesome, like creating a, you know, 10 feet of topsoil essentially in this country. So... Would you agree that if farming is done in a way that's conscious and intelligence and someone is, you know, knows that system enough to be a good, um, a responsible custodian of the land, that in fact, supporting animal agriculture benefits the land rather than, 100%. than hurting it? Yeah, 100%. I think that the most harmful thing in the US food system are corn and wheat subsidies. That, in my mind, infiltrates everything in such a negative way. Corn subsidies mean larger companies because only these larger companies can buy enough land where it, like that subsidy is meaningful. It means that growing practices and GMOs are incented to go the wrong way. Like if you get a corn subsidy and it doesn't say yes or no GMOs and you can like double your crop or whatever by doing GMO, you're going to go that way. It makes the price of bread and other carbohydrate rich foods artificially cheaper. A hamburger at McDonald's should not cost a dollar. 
The reason that it costs a dollar is because in large part due to corn subsidies. And that works because the buns are cheaper, the beef is cheaper because they can feed cattle this artificially cheap corn, soybean, wheat mix. And it fucks up the economics of the entire supply chain and gives us this horrible reality where the foods that are worst for you are also the cheapest. I think that that problem and that mispricing is one of the biggest issues in food today that if I could like wave a magic wand, that would be the one thing that I would focus on. So if someone is an activist of sorts and they really care about the welfare of our planet, they would probably be better served to quit the commodity foods like corn, soy, and wheat. Like if we could eradicate those from the food system, it would probably help the planet and everyone. uh, Or support a local farmer or a local community garden or whatever it is. But if you are saying that there is a strong moral case to give up meat and instead you eat commercially grown pasta, bunch of carbohydrates, eat massively, you know, vegetables from massive farms, I think that you are no better and probably worse than the average meat eater in terms of your negative environmental impact. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. I, I'm happy to hear your perspective on that. This stuff's so interesting to me. You know, I, it's crazy, I, it's, man. Yeah. It's, I didn't some... know anything about this two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, you know, it's your business. So before we wrap up, I want to go a little bit more into the bone broth stuff because I didn't know we were even going to talk about all this. I was like, cool, we'll do an hour on like bone broth, you know, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> there's always more. Once my curiosity starts to get fired up like it is today, uh, there's always more. So I'm glad we've got to dive into some of this other stuff. But going back to, the broth because it's been such a meaningful impact on my health personally is just something I'm always on. For people that are kind of unfamiliar with it, what does the process look like of making it? What is bone broth and how is it made? Great question. So you take uh, marrow-rich bones and bones with a bunch of connective tissue. You put them in water, throw in a bunch of spices, vegetables, kind of to taste. And then you cook that down for 24 to 48 hours generally. And then I like to add a little bit of apple cider vinegar, not only for nutrients, but also to help break down the bones so more of the nutrients get into the broth. Basically cook it for an so extended that's real, period of time. Huh? I remember that when yeah. I was making it, I'd yeah. hear that. I'm like, yeah, did, where'd this come from? You know, is it just one of those yeah, weird, yeah. <laughs> like a, a cooking meme, you know? The, yeah. the, there's actually some validity to that. that yeah, I mean, so it's, it's an acid, right? right? And so acid basically helps things break down faster. Okay. And so when you're exposing bones to heat, pressure, and an acid for an extended period of time, you'll get them to break apart and release more of the nutrients. Oh, cool. So, so you add those ingredients, you cook them for a long period of time, strain out the bones and the vegetables, and you just have this super nutrient-dense broth that people will then cook with or drink. And the way to tell if you have a real bone broth, at least with beef, this doesn't always happen with chicken, is put it in the fridge. And if it firms up at all, it's a real bone broth. And that firming up process is due to the high amounts of collagen, which is broken down into gelatin. And gelatin, when it experiences cold over an extended period of time kind of hardens up a little bit. Uh, right. It's a protein. Right. And so if your bone broth gels, as they call it, that means that there's high amounts of collagen and gelatin, which are two of the main nutrients and two of the main reasons that you'll drink bone broth and incorporate it into your diet. And also the things that give you good for ladies listening or guys that skin. are sort of vain. Skin, yep. hair, yep. nails, right? Yep. And then like your brother injury recovery because your tendons, ligaments, skin, like all of your connective tissue and all that stuff. That's what it's made of. So essentially the amino acids, the collagen, the protein that you're giving your body is what your body's made of. Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing with me too that I finally was like, I can't be vegetarian because I am made of meat. Yeah. (laughs) Like (laughs) I am, that's, I think I had the thought one day, I was like, wait, I don't eat meat, but I am meat. (laughs) It was like this, oh, 
you know, moment like the the Space Odyssey 2001 theme song started playing in my head, and I was like, wah, wah, wah. Oh my God, I am meat. No wonder I'm not well. I yeah. need my my meat needs me. <laughs> So we're we're boiling down essentially these animal bits because we're made of the same animal bits. So our body essentially is like hungry and thirsty for more of the raw materials mm-hmm. by which it rebuilds itself, right? Because yep. your body's constantly regenerating, rebuilding. It's just happened so slowly that you can't tell you're like the Terminator and you're regrowing tendons that get ripped or, you know, yeah. your hair falls out, then new hair comes. Where does it come from? It comes from the stuff that you're eating. Yep. hundred percent. I got an email from someone the other day that was like, dude, your bone broth is full of heavy metals. Like those mm. animals are loaded with lead and are you testing for it and stuff? I'm like, yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, so, yeah. It's a great point. Uh, what, so, so we test all of our stuff for heavy okay. metals, obviously, because we care about the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I drink my stuff. My mom drinks my stuff. My grandma drinks. Like we all drink it. Yeah. I want to make sure it's the best. Yeah. And so... That is definitely a concern when you are using factory farm animals. Ah, and like, where are they picking up the metals? In their diets, in their in their water, in you know, this is again the issue with bone broth is if you imagine a, a cow or a chicken that only has water that has heavy metals in it, those are not necessarily going to be present in the meat. So the meat will pass inspection. Right. Where if it's stored is all the fatty tissue, the marrow, the joints, the tendons, stuff like that. Okay. And so this stuff will just collect over a long period of time for animals that don't have access to high quality food and water. Right. And so that, again, not only is that why we test our stuff, but that's why it's so important to use organic sources, grass-fed, grass-finished, all of this kind of stuff. That's part one. Part two, there were, I believe, a couple studies focused on lead in bone broth. They used factory farm chickens, all this kind of stuff. That said, even then, the lead levels were not crazy over FDA limits. Like it was not a toxic dose. It was just more than I would want, certainly. But it was not... I think that that storyline has been blown a little bit out of proportion is is all I'm saying. Like a little propaganda going on there. And then something that I'm always concerned about when I'm buying commercial foods that have been cooked is the actual cookware. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people are they don't understand that there's different metals. Like a pot is not just a pot. A lot of people like... I've worked with clients, one in particular, oh my God, I did like a kitchen makeover for him. Really successful, wealthy guy has a house in Malibu. I mean, should have the best shit ever. Yeah. But he was recently married. He's like bachelor. He still had like his cookware from college and it's all aluminum and it's all nonstick. Teflon, but all chipped away. Like (laughs) old ass Teflon from like the 80s. I'm like, bro, dude, we need to upgrade. That's gross. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize when you're using inferior, really cheap metals to cook and you're adding heat to those metals that those heavy metals then leach into Mm -hmm. your food. So I suspect with certain soups and bone broths and things like more of the commercial stuff, it's probably also loaded with heavy metals just that have leached out of the cookware. Yep. Like, you know, like those little Keurig coffee makers and oh, shit yeah. like that. Dude, the little heating elements, they're aluminum. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, if you tested like a, your average coffee maker for heavy metals, you, it'd fucking floor you and BPA and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of people think about like the ingredients that go into cooking something, but the actual <laughs> materials you're using to cook, they really, matter. They, they matter too. Certainly. So what did you guys think about that? Or is that part of your process at all in terms yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we only use stainless steel kettles. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. And if you're getting your stuff tested for metals, if any of that was showing up in the broth, oh, it, would, no. it would be in the finished product because oh, yeah. that's oh, yeah. what's getting tested. Exactly. Interesting. Have you ever had situations in which like you're doing everything right and somehow 
your labs came up weird and you're like, where the hell is this shit not coming yet. from? Okay, not that's yet. good. Well, actually, that's not true. So every batch that you pull samples from it and you send it to a lab to check everything's good. Yeah. So we had one instance where it came back and they were like, wow, this is super messed up. Everything's oxidized and the nutrients are like way lower than they should be. Turns out in transit, one of the boxes had gotten punctured and then uh, like spilled. So there's a small air hole oh, in one of the boxes wow. and that threw off the entire batch. But yeah. that's the only scare that we yeah, had. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And then we were talking a little bit before about you know the the perils of making broth yourself. And I don't want to discourage people from doing that. Definitely I mean, a lot do of, it. A lot of people like to cook and like, hey, yeah, cool, that's great. fun. Just I'm the consummate bachelor. Like I, yeah. I literally live out of my Vitamix. I hate cooking. I don't yeah. even like eating. Like to me, eating and cooking, it's all like taking a shower and going to the bathroom. It's all in the same category. Like it's just a pain. I'm just, it's a hassle. Sure. It's just an interruption to my life. Unless it's a beautiful meal, you know, that's been prepared by sure. someone with love and care, like eating with friends. Like I like that. But just home alone, I'm like, oh God, I got to eat. <laughs> I'm trying to like build my online course or whatever. You know, yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm doing something awesome right now. I'm trying to record a podcast. God damn it, I got to eat. So it's not for me, but people can make their own bone broth. Then there's other companies like smaller companies where they make, or even some of the grass-fed beef where you can order frozen beef, as I said earlier, you can order it and it's, some of it's really good and it comes in these quart containers, but it comes in dry ice and it's frozen. Yep. And so I like that. There's some good broth out there. But the issue that I found, and this is just a shout out to you guys really out of the convenience and the compliance we were talking about is that you have to really stay on top of your rotation. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really expensive to order it online frozen because it's so heavy yep. and it has to ship. And you think about like a frozen bone broth, it's like heavy as shit. So you're shipping and then... You get it all, you put it in the freezer and then you have to remember to take one out and thaw it out in the refrigerator. Yep. But then it only lasts for a few days and, mm -hmm. it, and I've wasted so much money because I forget about my bone. I have one thawing right now for Model Meals, my meal delivery service. And then I have to make sure that I eat it, but I live alone. So a quart is a lot. Yeah. So like I sort of have to like, if I do that method, I have to almost really stay on top of my whole bone broth schedule, which yeah. is... Kind of a pain in the ass. I know it's a lot of overhead. Yeah, this, it's just this is why this yeah. is why we decided we couldn't do frozen. So how did you guys? I mean, it might be a proprietary thing, but how is your shelf stable but still has enough protein and collagen in it? Because it's very liquidy when it's yeah, just yeah. warm that, that, out that of that the cupboard. That was our big innovation, right? Is we we figured out how to make a real bone broth that gels when you open the box, pop it in the fridge, or it'll gel, thicken up with incredibly high levels of collagen that is also shelf stable with zero additives or preservatives. The way that we do that is basically we use about $6 million worth of packaging technology. So what we do is unlike juice, like shelf-stable juice where you heat it up a lot, expose it to a ton of heat, denatures a lot of the nutrients and stuff, and then they package it and they put it on the shelf. Bone broth is meant to be cooked for a long period of time at heat. And what that does is that kills a lot of the pathogens and the potential reasons that the USDA does not allow you to serve products and say they're shelf-stable uh, if they haven't been exposed to a certain level of heat over an extended period of time. So we finish cooking it. We then basically fill it in the packages that you see. And then those packages with the broth inside are exposed to heat one last time. And then it's called the kill step. It just makes sure that there's no pathogens, bacteria, anything that could get people sick, basically, in and, the product. And how long do they last? They last about a year oh, okay. unopened. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Once crazy. you open it, it'll go bad just like any bone broth. Right, right. That's yeah. crazy. 
That's so cool that you didn't have to use any kind of potassium sorbate or like no, weird no, no, no. preservatives and I stuff hate like that. Stuff, yeah. We don't, we don't do that. Yeah. I know. You ever think about like when you eat food with preservatives, you're like embalming your guts, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. like all of that stuff is essentially an embalming powder or fluid that's put into your food to embalm it and freeze it in time in a way mm -hmm. that's not natural. And then you're taking that stuff inside. Imagine what that does to your gut bacteria. Oh, no. Gnarly, dude. Yeah. So kudos to that. Okay. And then what about some different uses? I do something which I feel is kind of innovative. I use bone broth just in smoothies. Like when I make, yeah. um, I make green smoothies and even sometimes I'll put it in like a dessert kind of smoothie just to see if I can get away with it without it tasting gamey. And it's actually undetectable. Yeah. So what can people use bone broth for? Because yeah, some people don't like necessarily like the taste or they just, sure. they're not in the habit of sitting there sipping a cup of like kind of a greasy, you know, thick, very gamey animal type yeah, broth. Yeah. Like, so I, when I turn people onto it, I'm like, Hey, you can make these five things out of it, get it into your body. You don't yep. even really notice, even yep. though it's kind of, it's kind of a nerd. It doesn't really have much of a flavor anyway by itself, but there's ways that I found to sneak it into foods. What are yep. some recommendations you have? Smoothies is a good one. We find that a lot of people will do a Drink it in the morning, add salt, pepper, your favorite herbs, whatever. Some people will simmer like rosemary and you know some of these other herbs in it, which they really like. Use it as a base in soups, stews, cooking vegetables, cooking rice for people that do that. I mean, a lot of people... Ooh, rice. That's a good idea, dude. Yeah, a lot of people will sub out water, sub bone broth for water or bone broth for any other recipe requiring broth ah, or stock. Ah, right. Yeah. And so we see that a lot. You could like cook your rice in broth then. Yeah, And you totally. just have like the super absorbed, chronic... Yep. Dude, that's a good idea. Exactly. Yeah, I've, these guys, I forget their name, which I remember sent me some wild rice, some dudes from like the Northeast and it was so amazing. Hmm. That would be really good with that. Give it a try. Some, make it with bone broth, then put some ghee in there. Oh, Dude, yeah. you're golden. Yeah. Liter literally golden. <laughs> golden rice. Okay. And then something that I have found in terms of uh, spicing mine, like one of my little recipes that I could just shout out. On Amazon, there's this truly natural liquid smoke. Most of the liquid smoke <laughs> is like MSG weird stuff. It's called, I think, Living Essentials, I believe is the brand. Okay. It's like five bucks for a jar. You literally put, if I make a kettle and fire and I take a whole carton of it, mm -hmm. I'll put three or four drops of this. So like a bottle of this liquid smoke lasts like two years or something, yeah. you know, because it's so strong. But it really is like evaporated water from burning wood. It's literally liquid smoke. Whoa. And it's got this dopest like smoky barbecue flavor and it doesn't have any preservatives or anything. That's awesome. Yeah, that in your bone broth with some sea salt and maybe a little like turmeric yeah. powder. I'll see if that try. Sounds amazing. Bro, insane. Actually, <laughs> we could have one when we're done. I'm kind of hungry. Okay, so I think, man, we pretty much like covered everything that I, I wanted to cover. Good. And, and now talking about all this, I'm really hungry, actually. Yeah, let's try some liquid smoke. <laughs> For real. <laughs> um, but in closing, I want to ask you my final question, Justin. Yeah. And that is, you've taught me a lot about your industry, about what you produce, your whole journey here. Who have been three teachers or teachings that you can share with our audience that might want to learn from the people you learned from? That's a good question. A really good question. So, in any area of life, yeah. it doesn't even have to be about what we talked about. Yeah. So, I've had mentors that have helped me a lot on the business side. Uh, this one guy, Jonathan Siegel, has started or run a bunch of companies. He's taught me so much about running a business, being a good manager, being a person of integrity. On the kind of philosophy side, 
I would say that I have learned a lot getting into different Buddhist teachings around so some of the stuff I touched on around the way I think about suffering and human wellness and you know all of this kind of stuff has been partially informed by a lot of different Buddhist teachings. And then uh, one of the other people is actually, this was so cool. There's a woman named Tara Brock. She Oh, love her, dude. Yeah. yeah. So, huge fan of her work. Everything she talks about in terms of radical acceptance and meditation and like, she's been a tremendously helpful to me. I'm going to get um, her on the show soon. Amazing. Yeah. I'm you know stoked. what's really cool? I'm stoked. So a couple, Friend of a friend, you know? Yeah. So a couple yeah. weeks ago, she emailed us. She's a Kettle and Fire customer. No way. So yeah, she That's responded sick. to a customer and she, or to a random email and she was like, I love what you guys are doing. I love your products. And I was like, are you the Tar Brock? Yeah. She's like, I am. And so that's we had dope. a little email chat. It was oh, so that's cool. really neat. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting too, because one of the tenets of Buddhism, I, I believe, and I'm not an expert on Buddhism, but I was like... I hope I didn't just out her or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> She's like, I'm supposed to be a vegetarian. <laughs> uh, but it's do no harm. You yeah. know, so it's interesting. I am pretty sure Yeah, she's a bone broth person, but probably yeah. does not eat much meat yeah probably yeah, yeah yeah well you know on that note i like what you said too about listen it's like even if for whatever ethical reasons moral reasons like your heart you just can't get on board with eating animals honestly i mean would you say any more cattle or chickens are literally going, zero are going to be slaughtered because literally there's zero. a demand for bone broth no literally zero so i mean it's it, never going to make that industry slaughter more animals right never so bones are less than one percent the cost of any cow or chicken and so the demand for bone broth or for bones would literally have to go up a thousand X for it to make any difference in, in the cost of a... Right. So it would have to be a thousand times more for like a purveyor of animal products to be like, hey, to we need to raise exactly, the slaughter more cows. Exactly. In other words, the demand is never going to increase the supply. The demand for bone broth, in my opinion, will never outstrip the demand for meat. Right. Ever. Right. And so... I think it is reasonable to say that no animal will ever be killed just for its to make bones. bone broth. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. That's interesting. And so that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, because I do have one friend who was very much plant-based for years and then he started to have some health problems and did his yep. labs and the doctor was like, bro, you got to stop this nonsense. Yeah. And then I don't think he has started eating any meat or fish, but just got on like pretty regular bone broth, problem solved, feeling yep. awesome, feeling totally. amazing. And for him, he was able to reconcile it, I think, spiritually or ethically because it's like, I guess you're still supporting that industry in a sense, but they're not going to stop raising and slaughtering cows because you're not eating them. There's well, still the, plenty of people that are going I to. I promise you, you're not supporting the industry. I mean, what you can make, you know, farmers are making several dollars per pound of meat that they sell. Yeah. They're selling bones for a couple cents. Right. It's, it's not a money maker for them. Yeah. It's better for them than throwing away the bones. Right. But they are not building a big business. They're not betting their right. business on They're selling not like, bones. We're the number one bone yeah, supplier exactly. in the United States. Right? <laughs> yeah. They don't care about that. They don't make that much money. On right. Bones, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Cool. So interesting. Yeah. Tara Brock. Wow. That's cool. I'm a big fan too. And those of you listening, we'll put this in the show notes, but she has an amazing podcast. Oh, so good. Mostly her lectures and meditations so and good. stuff. Yeah. She's great. Definitely someone yeah. I'm looking forward to. The inviting Mara to tea thing was one of the most impactful like stories that she talks about a lot. Oh, I, I haven't heard it. that one. Oh, so good. I'll look out for yeah. it. All right. Cool, dude. And then lastly, where can we find you, your company, your work, what URLs, social media and stuff you want to sure. point people to? So we're uh, Kettle, K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-Fire.com. We're also Kettle and Fire on Instagram and we have a Facebook group, Kettle cool. and Fire. 
It's awesome, dude. All yeah. right, we'll link to it. Well, listen, man, thanks for coming by. Nice surprise. I'm glad, yeah. we, glad we didn't have to do this on <laughs> Skype. We got to put this on blast on YouTube, Yep. Uh, which by the way, listeners, you know, a lot of these are on YouTube. If I do them, well, not just in person, any ones that have video. And then we got to do Instagram Live and Facebook Live, which is I love it. really fun too. Thanks so, for having me, man. Yeah, so thanks for coming by. We are going to end this podcast right now, folks. And we're going to go have, I'm not even kidding. We're going to go have some bone broth Let's right now, dude. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> thanks for being here. Thanks, man. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. We made it through another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. We crushed it. We did not rush it. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank my guest, Justin Mayers. And uh, as I do this outro, I swear to God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go meditate and I'm going to go uh, heat up some bone broth, throw my little secret spices in there, a little ghee. And uh, that's going to be my pre-meditation dinner to get lots of healthy minerals and fats and all the good stuff that's in bone broth one of my favorite foods. And that's why I wanted to do a show about that and also just the food industry. I think it's really interesting to find out where the foods that I eat and that many of us eat actually come from. If you remember last year, I went up to Belcampo Farms and met the animals and the farmers and the land where I get much of my food. And uh, so I really enjoy kind of getting closer to the process. I'm just one of those nerds that wants to know how everything works. I also really want to know how the system of Ayurvedic medicine and the lifestyle of Ayurveda works, which is why next Tuesday I've invited our guest Sahara Rose to join the show. And we do an insanely uh, fun yet also info-packed episode about her expertise, which is the Ayurvedic way of life. It's the oldest system of natural medicine on the planet. Really cool stuff. If you want to catch that one, make sure to subscribe to the show so it just ends up magically appearing on your device. Also, I want to give you an invitation here. You ready? I'm going to give you a virtual verbal invite right now. Listen up. I would love for you to join us over at the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. This is a place where I'm beginning to interface with more and more of you listeners and the listeners are also starting to get to know one another over there, at least virtually. Um, although now that I'm doing tons of events, oftentimes uh, I'm meeting people that are in the group that come to the events and people that are in the group are meeting each other at the events. It's one big happy family over at the Lifestylist Podcast. To join that group, just crack open Facebook and search the Lifestylist Podcast. The private group will pop up and request to join. We'll let you in and we will party like it's 1999. It's a great place to ask questions. I do a lot of exclusive videos. The other day, for example, just randomly, I was making a weird green smoothie and I decided well, I might as well just have my camera on to make this process more interesting. And that was a live feed there in the group. And I ended up doing an hour and 15 minute video tour of my entire supplement cabinet, which could take honestly 10 hours. But I went through every item that I take every day and explained why. And wow, that got a lot of views. People really like that. After I did it, I was kind of kicking myself in the ass because, uh, you know, it was a very private experience. And I, as usual, I didn't have any sort of boundaries or edit or anything. I just kind of let it all hang out. But I don't know. You guys seem to dig that. I try to do the polished stuff and people, they don't care. They <laughs> get less, less downloads and less views the more edited and polished life is over here at the show. So um, the Facebook group is a great place to see 
uh, spontaneous craziness like that. And also when I do interviews like the one that you just heard with Justin, the one coming up next week with Sahara Rose, I uh, 99.9% of the time live stream those in the Facebook group where you get to see all of the behind the scenes action, which is really cool. So if you're a diehard listener of the show, you're hearing the edited really pretty no warts version of the show. But if you're in the Facebook group, you get to see me actually do the recording and prep the guests and you see the tripods fall down and all the dumb shit that tends to happen when I'm trying to make a recording. So join the damn group. Search in Facebook for the Lifestyles Podcast. Join the private group. It's private, so you can kind of, you know, keep it real in there and no one sees it except members of the group. Okay, let's thank this week's sponsors, Biome. You can go to biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist and save 15% off by using the code lifestylist. And you can get their insanely dope probiotics that include not only bacteria, but beneficial fungi as well, which is very unique and cutting edge. You can also get your poop tested over there in a very non-gross way. It's a little swab. You put it in the mail. It's actually pretty chill compared to most of the other uh, gut biome tests. So I recommend that you go do that. And then of course, my friends over at Onnit, a company that I've been supporting on the sidelines for years and are now sponsoring the show. So I'd love for you to support them as well. You can go to onnit.com forward slash Luke. That's O. NNIT.com forward slash Luke. And if you go over there and use the code Luke, you'll save 10%. On it is where I get a lot of my supplements. I buy coffee from them. I buy their flavored MCT oils, all kinds of good stuff. If you want one recommendation to walk away with, they have a supplement called New Mood. That's all of these super chill herbs. It's really good for anxiety and just relaxation and also sleep. So they have a lot of great things. Then, of course, Alpha Brain, which is like the gold standard in the world, I think, for um, nootropics. I mean, people, God, I've been taking Alpha Brain for ages, as is uh, every biohacker, I think. And then, of course, Organifi. That's Organifi with an I. Here's the site, Organifi.com forward slash Luke. Over there, you can save 20%, which is a fat discount, using the code Lifestylist. So in summary, Biome, that's... B-I-O-H-M by as in biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist onnit.com forward slash Luke organifi.com forward slash Luke and the savings are aplenty over at the sponsors. It's very helpful when you support them. Uh, just so you know, you can also find most of our sponsors and most of the brands that I personally use and I'm into located in the links uh, at lukestory.com forward slash store. While I don't personally sell anything, I've created an amazing library of resources over there in terms of all of my biohacking devices and all the supplements that I like. And many of the links within lukestory.com forward slash store also come with exclusive discounts. So it's a great place to shop. You don't have to trouble yourself trying to figure out what's the best of this and the best of that. I've spent the past 20 plus years figuring that out. And when I find something cool, I put it on my site. All right. So I think that's it. That wraps up this show with Justin Mayers. And uh, I can't wait to bring you the next episode of the Lifestylist podcast. If you enjoyed this one, please take a moment now to share it with a friend. This episode of the Lifestylist podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net. 